Spencer. Mr. Lasso Lowdown. Spencer, penultimate episode, episode 11. I gotta tell you, I think we're back. I feel like we're back. The moment I watched this episode, helped by the very happy gifts that you were sending me the day before I got to watch it, I turned to Bridget and went, Lee liked this one. This was a Lee episode of Ted Lasso. Mainly because I've got like 18 Ted Lasso sayings by the time this episode is done. There is no burying the lead for me. I love this episode. I feel like we're back. I feel like we're back in the groove of what Ted Lasso really is. I've complained and talked about in the last maybe four or five episodes that I felt like the show was changing. It was becoming more of like an hour-long drama. It wasn't the silly, fun pop culture references. The zingers from Ted really weren't happening. The show, listen to me, obviously, changed course. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, I'm very mm -hmm. impressed. I'm very pleased. But enough of me, Spencer, what did you think of the episode? I liked quite a bit of it. Uh, I, I did like. feel like in some ways it was a bit of a return to the feeling of season one Ted Lasso with the little Ted quips and the lines and a lot of the character interactions. It kept an element of the drama of that it's also been building up this season, most of which I liked, though a lot of my concerns or problems with some of the relationship issues that they've, they've been doing were kind of doubled down on this episode. So I have mixed feelings about that. But on the whole, I'm pretty damn positive about the episode. Nice. Okay, good. Well, at least we, we, we're not on polar opposites here. As I mentioned before, this is the penultimate episode. This is titled Midnight Train to Royston. Love the, mm -hmm. love the title. Love the focus of the title, right? Of, about a particular part of the plot that I thought was mm -hmm. very important. We will go through all that and more here on the Lasso Lowdown. If you're just joining us for the first time, we have segment, segments galore on the Lasso Lowdown. We start with Tea Time with Lee where I attempt to convince our American audience that tea is not quite as bad as Ted and Dr. Sharon think that it is and Spencer, oh, you God. have to do biscuits with the it boss. It happened. They listened. Democracy protests work apparently. One Last, episode after. One of the one of the bits we have here is we have biscuits with the boss, where Spencer brings a dessert to the podcast. He went on strike. He said he wasn't going to do biscuits with the boss anymore last week because Ted wasn't doing biscuits with the boss with Rebecca. And what do we get this episode? Ted brings biscuits to Rebecca. So. Our segment is back. Biscuits with the boss with Spencer. And Spencer heroically reads the recap every week, banging out the notes. He has promised a lot of notes for this episode. So uh, a lot talking. of quotes, a lot of plot, a lot of talking going on this episode. So he's got a lot of quotes and a lot of things for the recap. And then after that, we do train wreck of the episode we, where we award one character a train wreck of the episode to a Sports Center top 10, where we discuss 10. Not nine, not 11, not 12, not eight. Things that we liked about the episode. We always nail it 10 every week. I'm always really Absolutely. proud of us for that. I mean, it's just mm -hmm. precise on the nose. And then we finish up with Life Lessons with Ted, where I attempt to convey some sort of life lesson from the episode. I can tell you there are life lessons for this episode. This is not going to be a snarky Life Lessons with Ted. It's not going to be like a half hour, right? Because it's not. this wasn't an overly sentimental episode. But I do think there were some things in here for us to take some lessons away from the episode. Absolutely. Okay, do you want to start with our segments? Indeed, sir. Okay, I will start with Tea Time with Lee. Tea Time this week, I mean, I had to do it. You have to. We have to do an African tea, obviously. On point. Well done, um, yes. I mean, we've got we've got a Ghanaian billionaire, you know, uh, trying to get our, our Nigerian prince, our young Nigerian prince, Sam, uh, pulled away from from Richmond, so we, we do we do an African tea here this week. Spencer, you got some? Did you pick a tea, or did you pick something that people drink and call tea, but really isn't? 
Yeah, you got it. It's I, I, I went with a pure, hundred percent pure this week. This is not a blend, pure rooibos tea. So this is a hundred percent rooibos. In the past, I've done rooibos before. I've talked about particular rooibos blends that I like. This is a hundred percent rooibos. Rooibos is, is a plant. It's not a tea plant though. Um, so when I say tea, it's really more like a like a quite herbal tea type thing. It's naturally caffeine free. It, the tea leaves are very, very red. And if you have pure red rooibos, like I do here, which I got from the Spice and Tea Exchange, that's kind of like a kind of like a chain for spice and tea, but it actually, they provide you pretty quality stuff. It is a deep, deep red. Um, and basically what it is, is a plant that they, uh, they grow and then they take the leaves and they dry them up and then they shred them. And then you get them to, uh, you get little... Um, shredded up uh bags of of rooibos here that you can you can steep and i can tell you about rooibos tea it's very very earthy it's got a little funk to it mm-hmm. that a lot of people have to kind of get used to but once you get used to it it's something that you can kind of like if you appreciate you can really can't get that funk anywhere else it's unique right? it's very unique. yeah exactly so you can't really if you have a hankering for rooibos if you've had rooibos before and you have a hankering for it you can't really sub out like irish breakfast right you gotta have rooibos mm-hmm. so this week I do the 100% red rooibos herbal tea in honor of our Ghanaian prince, um, billionaire. <laughs> Not literally prince, a prince. billionaire, but, president, yes. whatever he is, and our lovely Sam, who is, uh, it's push-pull with Sam. So uh, big African focus this week, so I went with an African tea. Spencer, the return after one week gone, the return of Biscuits with the Boss, what did you bring for us? Well, you, you, you've known me for a while. You know I'm a bit of a stubborn bastard in a lot of ways. Uh, Indeed. I, Went into this episode absolutely certain there wouldn't be biscuits with the boss and I didn't need to buy anything. Then the episode happened and I need to go out and run and get something real quick. So, I decided, given this was very much a feel of like an old-style Ted Lasso episode, a lot of time spent with Ted and his various sayings, I thought I would return to my roots. I think I did this very first episode we ever did. It is a blueberry muffin. I have a giant, in this case, giant Costco plate-filling blueberry muffin that I will go into a sugar coma on before the episode is over. That is a massive blueberry muffin. If Spencer gets Costco desserts. They are always like, you know, like the remember in Ghostbusters where you could like use that gun to zap something to make it like super big. No, actually, I don't. But you yeah, from the comics. Yeah, I'm not oh, talking yes, about the, com- the comics. Sorry, yes, yes. Yeah, they had like a gun where you just you fire something and you make it super big. That's what Spencer's done to all of his desserts right there. It's a, it's it's been fired away. Costco is meant for giant people and it accommodates us in just a kind of struggling capacity, but we enjoy it. So there you go. That's what you got for us this week. Tea Time with Lee, uh, 100% red rooibos herbal tea. Spencer's got a big old size of your head blueberry muffin. Mm-hmm. I think we're ready for the recap if you're ready for the recap. I, I don't want to like, I don't want to spend too much time, uh, Spencer. I don't want too much foreplay here. I want to jump right into this because this is a great episode. Okay, well, we open with what I think is our first time hearing the crowd's chant for Sam. I think this is our third, you know, player chant that we've got, and I'm curious of your review. Compared to the ones we got for Jamie and for Roy, where does this one rank? This is yeah. set to Seven Nation Army. Yeah. Um, uh, 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 yeah. Sam, oh, Sonia. Yeah. Um, strong i gotta say it's yeah, really it's strong. strong it's like nine nine and a half for me it's really really good is it jamie Talk, do, 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 jamie no it's not no, Thank no one god is it isn't higher than that no one's getting higher than that but yeah this is a very good chant for samuel Bassan. Yeah, i will say that beforehand they were advertising the new john stewart talk show look at that the problem what do you with think john about stewart. that are you ready for john stewart to get back in the zeitgeist spencer uh 
I was never ready for him to leave in the first place, so in principle, I'm very happy to have him back. I'll just be curious to see how much he can capture the magic that was, what, 15 years ago now that he's been gone? How long has Jon Stewart been away? Maybe about 10. Maybe about 10. About 10. But I'm looking forward to it. I'll definitely give it a try. I loved loved The Daily Show back in the day. I I just wonder how much, well, I imagine it's going to take a while for him to get back into the rhythm that he was at. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if we need it. We've just got so many. I mean, every single talk show does the John Stewart shtick now. Like every every late night show does the same things. So I just don't know if we need it. I think Apple needs it. I think it's desperate to find content to fill its channel, and John Stewart is a way to at least get them press. Fair point. All right, so there you go. Well, on top of Sam having a really banging theme song, he's having a hell of a game. Hat Man trick. First hat trick of his career. Three goals by the team. All three by him. Making it, and this is the first moment we've ever had the show say it, them one win away from promotion. One win away. That means nothing in the context of how we know the rules work, other than, I guess, that if if they score one victory, it is assumed by the announcers that they'll have enough points compared to everybody else that they won't even need to participate in the playoffs. They'll just be automatically into the Premier League. And this seems to be the kind of path they're going in, because they not really that interested in focusing on much in the individual plays, the individual results of each game this season. Yeah, and they seem like they're just scrapping the playoffs. It's just basically an up or down, get in, get out, one game. That's how they want to set it up for dramatic if, purposes. If they're in the top two, that is how the rules work. They get to skip the playoffs, and unlike the ones that are below them. And I guess they're going that route just so they can be done with it and set up what's going to be the next season, probably a more play-focused season given their three-season goal that Ted telegraphed in season one. Right, but... What I'm saying is I don't think they're going to leave open the possibility of the playoffs no. if they lose. I think it's just going to be no. an up or down thing. That'll be interesting. I, I can't imagine them going down. I can't imagine them spending another year in the championship league. So I'm assuming no. victory will be assured, but who knows with this show. They always surprise us. Team celebrating Sam. Every individual player is coming up to him. But that away, so- Sam. Did you hear Beard say that away? I did hear him say that. That uh, Sure, that's a way you can phrase that, that particular it's statement. A strange one. <laughs> uh while this is happening, though, there's a somewhat pensive piano that's playing. So we can't really... Mm-hmm. We're getting into a bit of the headspace of Sam, but as much as everybody's celebrating him, he's still not perfectly at ease. One of the things that's driving that is he's gotten a text message from Rebecca. Which, Whoa. to his unending disappointment, it is just there to congratulate him. Which is clearly mm-hmm. not what he hoped for. He stares sadly at that. Colin knocks on the glass to congratulate him once again before speeding, and I say speeding with giant air quotes, off in his overly expensive sports car out of the exceptionally tiny parking lot, leaving Sam to stare alone. And for our intro to start at the 159 mark, if my timing is correct. Yeah, correct. Uh, One of the fastest, not the fastest, though. I will go back to the text uh, screen. I like to do this. Please. Read you the previous text. So this is the text conversation between Sam and Rebecca. This is from Sam's at the top of the screen. You get shade emoji, shade emoji. Then you get wink emoji, wink emoji. (laughs) And then you get, it'd be great to see you again and no pressure at all, but I do miss you. And then you get no response from Rebecca. Then you get a hat trick, bloody brilliant. I'm so happy for you. Have a nice night. So clearly when Sam said, um, you know, I miss you or whatever, uh, she did not respond. And he was probably still holding out hope that she would be responding to that, but no such luck. Doing the three-dot shuffle like he was doing before, oh, just God. always watching for those three dots. 
Well, luckily leaving that behind, we we're with Rebecca and Keeley, who were discussing that apparently Keeley has now got a Vanity Fair business issue article about her as a powerful woman on the rise. Look how far your Keeley has come from where she started in season one. She is living the Rebecca life and enjoying it. Well, mostly, because the two of them are comparing the spazzing out body language that Keeley's currently suffering from at the idea of doing this article. Luckily, Ted arrives and has said he has biscuits. And oh god, I was both surprised and happy to see them right there. They listen ding to dong, me. Ding I gotta love all the little Ted charm that's coming back. Uh, they asked Ted to guess who got a Vanity Fair article being written about them. I got it? This is incredible. Not you. Keely. Uh, oh, that which, makes more sense. Yeah. And he offers the line, this is going to be a Vanity Fair to remember. Ted is Pretty just, solid. <laughs> he's been just saving these for just ever. I got to tell you, after the breakthrough with Dr. Sharon last episode, when he comes right in with oh, bing bong, ding dongs, and then like, I finally got it. This is incredible. I was like, yes. Like, I just breathed a sigh of relief. My Ted is back. Thank goodness. Mm-hmm. Well, Ted's telling them that he's really here on a particular mission, that it's Dr. Sharon's last day tomorrow, and he's soliciting money from everybody so they can just give her cash and a card. Keeping it simple, because, in his words, she already has all of our deep, dark secrets. It's kind of hard to top that with a scarf and candle. Fair point. Shout out to Ted, though. I just want to say, like, there's not been many situations in my life where people were getting me a gift where I wouldn't have just preferred cash. Like, cash. I know, like, a lot of people, like, think that's tacky or whatever. People want cash. Just get cash. It- it's one of those things of where I think everyone agrees, but there's just this cultural understanding that cash is impersonable and not doesn't have, doesn't convey any meaning. When everyone's actually thinking in their heads when they get this gift that's just going to sit on a shelf, man, I wish I'd just gotten cash. Yeah, you remember the Office episode where Pam and Jim were walking around the office asking for it, and Kevin Malone had that great comment, you, you yeah. want my cash? You, you want my money? <laughs> yeah, that's how people normally think of it. But yeah, I think that's a lesson for everybody. Always get cash. Ted, shout out to him for that. Well, Higgins arrives. Uh, which I, I love how uh, both Ted and Keeler refer to him as Higgins, but Rebecca always refers to him as Leslie. It's nice to see them, the two of them as friends again. Higgins! Uh, he just got an email from Edwin Akufu, who is a West African billionaire heir and football fan. And Higgins suspects that he's interested in buying the club, which Ooh. shocks the room to the point that it actually ruins Keeley's makeup as she does the classic lipstick up the cheek routine. So I got a question for you. Yeah. Um, they say he inherited 1.2 billion euros. Yes. Um, they seem to think that that's like more than enough to buy one of these clubs. Like, is that like, are the clubs not a billion dollars? Like NBA clubs are going for like 4 billion, 5 billion now. Like, I mean, <sighs> it seems like not that expensive. I don't know. I kind of assume that I was kind of assuming that most of these are billionaire organizations. Richmond may not be. He also may be just, you know, a lead investor of a group that's then making a pitch. It could also go. be that it could also be just a group of people that are behind this. Because I would assume most of these teams are owned by a variety of people rather than just one individual. Yeah, I mean, obviously one point two a lot, but it just didn't seem like sort of like flaunt. Yeah. Like I'll just buy any club I want to money. It's, it, not, it's it, not Steve Ballmer money. It gets him a meeting to find out what he's trying to do, and it may be an assumption that there are, could be other people behind him. Yep. Uh, now down at the coach's office, Will arrives carrying Nate's dry cleaning uh, dry cleaned suit. You know, the one that Ted bought him because everyone just refers to it that way, which is now consistently pissing Nate off. It's my really? suit. It's my suit. Yep. The second Ted gave it to me, ownership transferred and it became my suit, Will. 
this has really become a sticking point for him. He really doesn't like the idea. I think Jan Maas's comment really got into his craw that this gives Ted any degree of, you know, control over him or it's in any way infantilizing. Will, uh, Nate really did not like that. He's trying to banish that description. Hence why later in this episode, he asks Keely whether she'll help, let him go out and uh, buy himself his, his own suit. Roy arrives with his crazy eyebrows, offended that a football that a photoshoot coordinator referred to the fact that he has crazy eyebrows. Which, I love that it quickly starts getting catching of where both Beard and Nate start being very much concerned, having never pondered the point before, do I also have crazy eyebrows? <laughs> Eyebrow game. Something we don't often consider that, don't often really consider. He's apparently taking part in the Vanity Fair article as uh, part of a at-home-with-the-footballer-boyfriend shoot that they're doing. And he has to wear all black so that Keeley pops, which is completely different than the dark heather charcoal that he's presently wearing. Now, you are more fashion conscious than I am. Did you recognize what he was wearing as dark heather charcoal, or can you at least recognize it now? Yeah, obviously. I mean, that's not, that's not, no, of course. It's black. It's not. <laughs> I, uh, I do wear a lot of black myself, and I will yes. say that they make, they make fun of him for wearing black. I would challenge anyone. I mean, he's never looked bad in no, black, no, right? No, no, no. The actor looks um, good in black, black, too. I think wearing black is a really good sort of, like, um, uniform for men. Uh, I, wear, I wear an awful lot of black myself. I think, I think it looks good. And Roy rocks it well. Mm-hmm. The actor wore black, too, to the Emmys. It's just a good look for this char- for this both character and actor. Faux show. Sure. Um, now, Ted arrives and uh, asks who's winning the fashion fight, but Nate is more interested in presenting his false nine plan against Brentford, apparently the last game of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ted off. Ted offers a classic Ted line of "Call me Dumbo because I'm all ears." And Ted's back in good form. I and, know. And Nate's like, "Does that mean yes?" And like Beard even seems annoyed with Nate like, at like, "Yes, yeah." Like it, you know, in this entire sequence, it seems like Nate hasn't learned one fucking thing about. I mean, has he learned the, the tactics of, of playing soccer? Maybe, but he mm-hmm. has learned zero soft skills for his job, and that is apparent here. In multiple yeah, ways, right? It is definitely either that, or he's just being willfully prickly and trying to distance himself from even understanding Ted, because he's getting farther and farther out of his camp. Either way, not a good read on Nate right now. But the plan is, basically, they're going to hide their strikers. Take Danny and Jamie, their two aces, and hang them back in midfield so as to surprise the other team. Keep both aces up their sleeve, as Ted puts it. Ted Ooh. thinks this is a really good idea, and they should start trying it out. But Nate is a... Even though he has Ted say, great idea, let's try it, he's immediately sickened by the idea that, in his assumption, Ted will once again, which I would love to know when this has happened previously, take credit for one of Nate's brilliant ideas. Beard That's and Roy's the opinion, job, son. Yeah, I love Beard and Roy's opinions that we're assistant coaches, even if that were true. That's the job. That's how it works. Nate wants to be his own boss, though, to be in charge, to get all the credit, and he asks whether they feel the same. Their response, though, from Beard is to basically say that, you know, there were old theories that trees were competing for light, and they've since proven untrue. That it's much more of a socialist community, right up Beard's alley, of supporting each other. He's citing the, re- the research of Suzanne Simard, who is a Canadian professor of forest and, con- and conservation sciences at the University of British Columbia. Yeah, who's done who a lot of research. Read Simard? I was actually aware of her work. Uh, who has done a lot of Jeez. research into the field of interforest communication and the exchange of resources and signals between trees. It's really fascinating stuff. Interforest communication, is that kind of like if a tree falls in a forest? Yeah, there was always the assumption... Sound type thing? It was always the assumption that we had to hear it. Her research, they all know. They convey signals <laughs> between each other. 
wonderful point there, man. Uh, now, Nate, however, upon hearing the story, can't see the forest for the trees and misses the point entirely nice, about what Nate's nice. beard's trying to make here. Wow, good one. Instead, doubles down that he is going to take credit for his brilliant idea come the next game when it works. If that's not foreshadowing that might blow up in his face, I don't know what is, or that he's going to be a dick, which we see by the end of this episode. Nate barks at, at, at Beard, can't you just give me a straight answer for once? And then Roy looks Roy. at him and says, I think he, he did. just did. Yeah, like, like, I love I love the like understanding that Roy and Beard have. I mean, these two yeah. characters might be on a better wavelength than maybe any two other. What? And, and again, did he really need that explained to him? That story was pretty on the nose of what Beard was trying to convey here. But Nate is not in a mindset to... Yeah. Uh, Nate leaves, uh, and Beard clarifies to Roy that his eyebrows are in no way crazy. They're psychotic, which Roy seems to appreciate. I appreciate that. Hey, question for you. Um, Am I just pretty smart or brilliant for calling that Nate was just an asshole last episode? (sighs) I had such hopes for this man after season one. He was so likable in season one, even with some minor issues. And even entering season two, it's like, okay, I can see where this arc is going. He's going to improve. Ted, Ted will have a rub off him in the right way. No, he's just gotten even worse as time has gone on. So all kudos to you. You just called just the man's jerk. an asshole. He's just a jerk. And, it, you know, there's a lesson there, which I, I said last episode, but I think it bears repeating, which is not everyone who is getting bullied or being, not everybody who's being wronged is a good person. Like, I think there's this assumption that if somebody's being bullied, that if you can just get the bullies off of them and lift them up, that they'll just, you know, become a, like that, they, they could genuinely be an asshole, even though they're being bullied. And I think that's the case with Nate. Yes, Nate was being bullied. Yes, he was in a, like a subservient position to some of the athletes on the team and he was being mistreated, but Nate still in his heart is not a good guy. Now, it is one of those things, though, where I believe the show really strongly stands for the idea that kind of any person, any person has their own story, any person has their own baggage, and potentially any person could be redeemed. If we want to compare our despicable people on this show, between Rupert, Jamie's dad, and Nate, I think Nate has the best odds, though, of still coming around, of still developing into a better person, despite the nader that he's currently operating at. I don't know. Maybe. We'll see. I mean, it might you, take you a whole season. Has a- you do know Rupert has a daughter, right? Yes, and that mere <laughs> fact just banishes all the horrible things he's done to women over the rest of his life. Nate doesn't have that magical, miraculous device that is a daughter to offer to the world. However, he has other means. It may take a whole season, but I'm still holding out hope for this man. Uh, put me in the column that he is just a jerk. Well, on the pitch, uh, yeah. the team are getting schooled in in sync dances. And it's lovely. Specifically, the famous Bye 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 dance from the music video with, I never really realized this, thank you Ted for pointing this out, the appropriate motif in their marionette movements of the name of the damn album. Honestly, I never put that together. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to be a fool for you. Just another player in the game or two. Everyone in our generation knows this dance, knows this music video, knows this album. It was everywhere. Bye Bye Bye. Uh, This is being done for Dr. Sharon's going away party and as Ted expresses, it's the effort it's the effort that matters not the execution putting in the time is what makes this impressive interrupting though a full armed or escorting the president security detail arrives cars trucks a freaking personal private helicopter in the middle of the pitch clearly intended to dominate the scene dominate the, the discussion thing. yeah this is very much i'm here everyone pay attention now you want to know? You want to know a great Trump story? Please. 
So the first time he was in, uh, he, he was in Iowa, you know, like in like 2015, thinking about running for president. For like um, the caucus? He was at a, he was at a, um, it was before the caucus. He was just like, yeah, you yeah. know, campaigning there. And he, uh, he was talking to someone and he was like, you know, doing work in the room. And then he said, what time is it? And they were like, well, it's like six o'clock or whatever. And he's like, okay, things start at seven. I'll be right back. And then he left and then he came down from a helicopter. So yeah, like, it, this I, is that. Exa- yeah, it is. Right. It's like the billionaire making an entrance. Like, I really feel like Richard, uh, I'm going to call this guy Richard cause he's Richard from Veep. Uh, he is that his name is also Edwin Akufo, but yeah, sure. Richard Richard is very aware of what what this type of um, what this type of entrance is going to do to get him off on the right foot for what he's trying to accomplish. Yeah, we're going to discuss this man by the end of the episode, but he really wants to make an image and he wants people to trust him. And yet, the more he tries, the more I don't. By the time this episode is done, because oh wow, we're going to fight it out. I think he's a good guy. I, in my mind, a lot of his narrative doesn't work, but. We'll get to that. Okay. Or at least it's inconsistent. Um, it said he interrupts and <laughs> he arrives to a delightfully pulsating sympathy. So if you want to know, is that Edwin Akufo's music? We have it here. This is the music he arrives to. <laughs> is that uh, Edwin Akufo's music? Uh, he claims to have been told that their training would be finished by now, which uh, bullshit. I don't think he cared. I think he wanted everybody to be here to watch. I think that was part of his goal right now. No problem. Kuna Matata, right? Oh, uh, sorry, that was kind of racist, wasn't it? Well, yeah, it's, it's one of those things of where it is a legit Swahili phrase, but I'm guaranteeing you Ted does not realize that Swahili is an East African language on the other side of the goddamn continent, so that's a bit of a broad brush painting you're doing right there, right now. I but, do love that. I do, this is funny, but I also really wish that we all did this, right? Like, what if, what if, like, when you're talking to someone, if you're like, if you do drop something, like, like, let's say you're talking to, like, someone of Asian descent, right? Mm-hmm. And then they're like, what, you know, you're talking about, like, what they ordered, right? And if yep. you're like, hey, did you did you try the did you try the, the, the chitlins? Like if you if you just assume they're gonna get a weird part of the animal, yeah. right? What if you did that and then you stopped and said, you know what? Sorry, that was a little racist. Like, what if everybody did that? Wouldn't that be refreshing? Like, it would be that refreshing. Would be great. Yes, I, it, it's one. Of, I actually had to look this up because I was curious because I knew that English was the lingua franca, but the most spoken common lo, uh, lo, uh, most spoken local language in uh, Ghana is a Khan which is spoken uh, by 80% of people as a second language and only about a third as a first language. Right. Very diverse that's country. not what he speaks. It, it is not. He just speaks English to everybody here. Nope. He at one point does speak uh, a tribal language and it's Twi. Twi? Is that, uh, yeah. Is, is that also a, a language, one of the 80-something languages in Ghana? It is, but it's uh, it's one of the most one of the most popular. Like basically they call them like their tribal languages and then they'll like, they'll know like most, most African countries, they'll know like, what they they, and they they call it that like right their tribal mm-hmm. language and then they'll know like English or French or something and they might know like multiple they might know English and French right but they'll know a tribal language Twi is one of the biggest ones in Ghana more on gotcha. that the sports center top ten looking forward to it now Edwin just shrugs off the uh, Kunamatata thing but notably when Ted extends to shake his hand he claims that he doesn't shake hands more on that wait later. a second. I got I got a story here. Fucking Africans do this shit. Really? It, fuck yeah, they do. And it please makes tell me, me. I, it happened to me. It's happened to me. So, so for those that don't know, I have traveled to Africa many many times for work. Quite um, a bit. And uh, multiple different countries, and I I had a chance. It's been great. I've had a chance to actually like meet government officials, but I've also had a chance to meet just like folks that we've hired in field offices who are just like regular regular dudes, like out in you know some province of Ethiopia or. Um, uh, Nigeria or you know countries like that right 
Mm-hmm. I've had this happen to me so many times where really? I stick my hand out and I get, I get the, oh, I don't shake hands. Let me tell you a story. So one time I went into a office that we had for an education project and this was in Senegal mm-hmm. and I stuck my hand out and there was a woman with a, um, like a headdress on, right? Um, and so covering her hair and I stuck my hand out and she just went, mm, no, like shook her hand, like shook her head at me and my hand. Right. And the person I was with was like, oh, Terry, like that is like such a faux pas. Like she doesn't she doesn't touch men like like I was like everybody was like on me hard about it. Right. Yeah. So we're sitting there working about an hour later. The guy who sits next to her in the office comes in and Mm -hmm. he's a Christian. He's not he's he's just like freewheeling. And he runs in and gives her a big, crazy bear hug and they do this big dapping thing. She very clearly, very clearly just did not want to shake my hand. So um, that is one example of this. I've gotten this many times from my from my African friends where they give me the, oh, I'm not going to shake your hand. Uh, and then they shake hands with another African. Um, and I, I like to think that this this joke is in there because somebody has had this happen to them. To them. As, a, as a goofy white guy in Africa has had this happen to them because it was such an inside joke. I felt the need to call it out. Very funny. Well, to cover to a certain degree, Edwin does offer his assistance as his, you know, his handshake expert. And to be fair, the guy's handshake game on point. Ted is impressed. Referring to it, which liked it, uh, firm but comforting, like a weighted blanket for his hand toes. God, Ted is back in form. Uh, Ted offers to take Edwin to Rebecca, uh, making a pun off impossible versus I'm possible that doesn't land, despite the fact that it should have. I thought it was very clever, Ted. Kudos to you. Yeah, uh, but for somebody whose English is a second language, it's t- it's a tough one. It's still a lingua franca. You still ra- you still taught English in school. This one he should have been able to put together in his head. Okay, all right. Spencer doesn't give him a pass on that one. Not giving him a pass. This was clever. Ted deserves all the credit because he's back in his game, and we should encourage him. Yes, uh, sir. Uh, Beard takes over the training, and uh, it's he gotta gets, be me. It's gotta be me. Uh, and we get to see <laughs> absolutely far too short. Of what is an absolutely amazing dance number. It's the best. It's the it best, is the best, best part number. of the episode. And just watch the individual actors and players. God, they're selling this. The actor who plays Jamie in particular, that man is focused on making this work. I gotta say, the actor who plays Jamie is like vaulting up my power rankings. I noticed it too. And I absolutely adored the fact that they gave them a bigger cheer for nailing the dance in yep. this scene than maybe they've ever given them for anything they've done on the field. You, you have to believe that's just the actors so happy they got this right. You have to believe it's just like, and cut. Film it. Keep filming it. They're so happy. If you weren't charmed by this scene, Ted Lasso is not for you. It's perfect, and their celebration is perfect, and everything is wonderful. What a team. Back in Rebecca's office, Edwin compliments the team on coming together despite relegation, noting it's something that can actually truly ruin teams just from a spiritual sense. But Ted notably gives the credit to Rebecca, saying that trickle-down economics may stink, but trickle-down yep. support smells like pizza, roses, and I assume Viola Davis. <laughs> sure. Okay. Not touching that one, but great. I go sound that. I bet Viola Davis smells lovely. Probably does. It's a weird thing to say still, but sure, Ted offers these things. <laughs> Rebecca wastes no time and just goes right out and says, not interested in selling the team. Just want to let you know, you can get back on your helicopter now if you need to. But Edwin clarifies, he's not interested in the team. In fact, he's only interested in one player. Sam. Dum, dum, dum. And 
Keely nearly immediately just ruins everything. With but Rebecca Turner. loves him! I love that Ted, having no clue, just provides covers. Yeah, we all love Sam. It's like, yeah, Keely, we all do. But it, I always feel the need to point out the acting of the lady who plays Rebecca, uh, Hannah Waddingham. She is amazing. And yeah. the shudder that she gives Keely oh, it's when fit, Keely yeah. says it is really, really good. And then there's another thing she does in this scene I'll point out later that was also great. But the little things in this scene from, from Hannah were, were really, really spot on. Well, Higgins, who always is the numbers guy, just focuses on the fact that, ah, we've got three years of a contract on him. Are you really talking about buying him off? Or buying him, buying him out from us? To which Edwin just says, yeah, I'm going to make you an offer you simply can't refuse. I'm going to throw cash at you. Well, recognize? Mm-hmm. I'm refusing an offer you can't make. Did, was it just me, or did Rebecca get a little Ted with that nonsensical, like, just yeah. trying to throw something back at him? So much so that Ted immediately turned to the guy and said, is that Godfather Part 3? That, that, that feels like that feels like something she just said right now. Also a funny joke because Godfather Part 3 sucks. Yeah, so yes, it does. Layers on layers there. Um, yeah, Rebecca's just not even considering this. Uh, nope. But Ed, Edwin notes that, you know, the team, which I totally don't own and have no connection to and I'm not saying anything about, will be in Africa and Sam might appreciate being closer to his family and his home. <sighs> Ooh, and that's, that's the only thing that he could have done to open the door. That's yeah, the money, only move. He can't just throw money at Sam. Sam doesn't control this. The contract is what matters here. And if he just offers a lot of money, Sam's going to respect what the team decides to do. If he offers this and goes this angle, he knows he has a means. He knows he has a possibility here. And he's yes. asking merely, I just want to talk to him. Just say hi. Take him out for the day. What could that hurt? Take him to a museum. Just a couple of dudes going to museums. Yeah, like Nothing they to do. see here. Right, let's go to a museum together sometime, man. That's perfectly something that two people that aren't in a relationship do all the time. Sure. Uh, Ted checks in on what, uh, you know, Ted really is kind of disappointed here. He clearly is reading that Sam might want to go home. But it's like, you know, I really wish we could have two Sams. How are those Scottish those Scottish cloning people doing? Because apparently <laughs> Ted's knowledge of cloning ended with Dolly the Sheep. So fine. Yeah, yeah that works. <laughs> so this is the other moment where Ted goes, uh, God, dog it, I wish we had two Sams. One for y'all, one for us. Hey, where are we at with cloning nowadays, by the way? And when he says that, Rebecca turns and looks at him like, what like it is like the funniest like you are such an idiot look yeah um i actually liked it so much i screenshotted it and put it in my notes which i'll i'll screen share and show you but that will mean nothing for the audience but it is uh her look at ted is very uh what the fuck is wrong with you uh, uh, edwin responds to this whole you know cloning thing by saying that it was an old quote from his father that a sad white man is still yeah that is a perfect Rebecca face that is the perfect Rebecca <laughs> if you reaction go, if you go back and pause it her look at Ted when he says the cloning line is just spot on yeah perfect right there uh Edwin's line about, you know, a sad white man is still a white man almost feels like a bit of a non sequitur. I guess the point is just that, you know, regardless of it, regardless of his current state, he's still white. But don't really get how that really relates to the cloning thing that Ted was saying at all. But okay, sure, we've got that line now. Uh, Sam, of course, then walks in. And it introduced Edwin, and as you already suggested, he promptly goes over and shakes the crap out of his hand, which... They, yeah, this has happened to me so many times. I hope I really, I hope I don't sound like culturalist or elitist or something. I just have had that it has happen to me many times where someone in an African country will tell me, I can't shake your hand. And then I see him shaking hands with one of their buddies. 
Uh, I will go back, though, to what Richard said. I, I should call him Edwin. I don't want to confuse yeah. anybody, but I think of him as Richard with feet. Uh, Edwin does the, well, my father used to say a sad white man, still a white man. That might sound like a bit of a non sequitur. I had a thought here, though, is that he is purposely trying to drive the wedge of African, non-African, trying to create that like team yeah. for him and him and Sam. And I think he kind of does this throughout the episode, I think this is kind of like he's 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 starting this of yeah well you know you are you are a white guy I am African like my friend Sam here we're a different team yeah he's very much he has a he has a goal here and he has a very particular strategy that he's going about with it and everything he's doing is in performance of that strategy as much as he's just trying to come across as you know a genuine just man of the people kind of guy all of this is very much intentionally designed this is what he's here for. Uh, Edwin invites Sam out to the museum and for something to eat. I love Ted's reaction when he sees uh, Edwin just shake Sam's hand the same way that the, uh, Edwin's assistant shook his hand. She, it clearly is a bit both confused and hurt. Probably the same way it happened to you the first time you saw it happen. The first time, but like the sixth time, I, I started going, the, oh, this shit again. Yeah. <laughs> Charlie Brown and the football right there. Uh, uh, <laughs> yep, two of them perfect. walk out. And Higgins discusses that apparently he had a prior short story that he wrote that exactly mirrors the situation, which everybody else is impressed by, but Rebecca just starts housing biscuits because this is not what she wanted to happen. Well, they get their meal for free because they found a bit of glass in the pasta. Oh, yes, indeed. Uh, <laughs> am I the only one that wants to read Higgins' shit? Because I please give it to me. I want, uh, I want to read it. It'll be posted online along with Beard's commentary in every episode. Uh, <laughs> Keely in her office. Nate Ooh. is just sitting in the dark covered with something shag. Just like, the lights are off and he's sitting in the dark in her office for just to come back at some point. That is a really creepy way to go about doing that, Nate. Very. Uh, she's obviously surprised, like any other human person would be, but she's quickly excited by his request that he wants her help in going suit shopping because he wants to own one that is his own. Not Ted's, not connected to anybody else's, his suit. His. I'm the boss of me. Mine. Uh, she is mostly just excited that she could have somebody to go out shopping with because she also needs to get stuff for the photo shoot. So but, the two of them... But... Keely. Go on. Come go on, Keely. Well, Keely. No, 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 no. Keely assumes the best in people. She looks at Nate like he's just a little brother. Like somebody no. that's a, a toddler she can support. She does. This is how she views him. I'm not saying she's right. She should have had some, you know, concerns, but I don't think anybody, re other than like Beard, I don't think anybody's really realized how much Nate's just kind of gone off the deep end in his own little bit of practically incel crazy he's now spiraling into right now. Now, this is my, so I don't think this is realistic. This is my my stance on this, is I think that Keeley is portrayed to us as, as she is, drop-dead gorgeous, is the Yoda of men, She's had, she's, I mean, she's been, she's posed in magazines, topless. She's been a sex symbol. She has had more men hit on her than probably like some women have met men in their life. Probably, she yeah. knows when a man is creeping on her. She has got to have that signal. She has years and years and years of that training. She has to know that, that Nate has a little thing for her. Now, does she view him as like the cute little brother who's harmless? Of course she does. Yeah. But she should have the little spidey senses to know that he is sort of like 
weirdly flirtatious with her and gets doe eyes around her. I just think that there should have been a part of her that should have said, oh, while this is harmless to me, like, Mm -hmm. I kind of know how he looks at me and maybe it's not a great idea for me to just take him one-on-one clothes shopping. Perhaps, if you want to offer an in-story explanation that still supports your theory, she is legitimately throughout the episode off her game and her usual, you know, on top of Fansburg room that she's in because she's got the Vanity Fair article. She's distracted. She was just going out to go shopping. She didn't put enough two and two together other than she just wanted somebody to be there because uh, Roy wouldn't do it. You that, that son of a you? bitch. You did it again. You, that I, is I'm perfect. here. I, I'm here to help. That is absolutely perfect. She's just she's just off her game, so she doesn't quite realize, hey, I'm I'm giving signals here to somebody I shouldn't. And maybe if she wasn't so like screwed up from the, the, the you know all that self-consciousness she's got going on, Man, God, perfect, Spencer. Nice work. For you. Home run. For you. Uh, meanwhile, Roy is uh, held up when he's going to Phoebe's classroom by that Uh-oh. one teacher that every classroom, every school of like that age group has. That one teacher that is constantly just giggling and has candy on them. I know that teacher quite a bit. How do you see? Held up by held up by her for a second. Uh, walks in to finally arrive in Mrs. Bowen. I had to double check her name. Uh, uh, Phoebe's teacher to find out. That it's a half day, Phoebe's already gone home with her mom. A little bit rude on the mom's part not to let Roy know that, because why would Roy know that? So I think we're picking up that Phoebe's mom is not great. Because think about how many times like Roy has had to like pick her up, and he's been still unsure. still never met her, have of, we? <laughs> no, we've not met her, and we've been unsure, like, is she picking Phoebe up or not? And Roy doesn't even seem to know. I, I just think that, like, yes, yeah, I think they... They have already said that she's a surgeon, right? So she's probably like yeah, one of these that's like overly attached to her job. But I think we're getting some evidence that like Roy is so ever present in Phoebe's life because it doesn't have a real strong parental figure. Maybe a fair assumption. Um, he is uh, surprised by this, but tries to avoid cursing in front of Miss Bowen. Fun. <laughs> exactly that. Yes. And they talk for a bit about the fact that there's going to be one of those annoying auctions that every school has at various times tonight. Uh-oh. Uh, Roy notes that Uh-oh. while the rest of the kids' works are scattered around the room for the sake of the auction and you know appearances, <laughs> Phoebe's doesn't appear to be. And he's confused by this. He's outright offended by this. Why isn't his niece's artwork on prominent display for the sake of this auction that's happening today? <laughs> Mrs. That, Bowen, though, has a... She has a reason. She has a reason for why this art isn't on display in a, we'll say, fourth, fifth grade classroom. Because she goes and brings it out. And, dear Lord, Phoebe has taken to drawing tits. Lots and lots of charcoal-stitched tits. Perfect. Quite well, Perfectly actually. Perfectly done. Really well done. I it's tell you, very... this Phoebe is, is the coolest kid in class. She's oh, yeah. by far the coolest kid in class. Her her uncle is effing Roy Kent, and she's yeah. just, like, knocking out, like, little little boobs They're... here. They could, they, I think she said that the, uh, the boys trade them like currency, which is yeah. absolutely what would happen in this school. I mean, these things, this is almost like, you know, you ever, we've all seen Titanic. Remember those little sketches that Leonardo DiCaprio does in the, uh, uh, book, the book of his? Those are on that level practically right here. I want you to draw me like one of your French women. Apparently she's had a model in some way that's helped her with this because they're anatomically on point. And as you noted, I, so perfect that the boys have stolen this from the teacher's desk and are now yes. passing it around. 100%. Absolutely they would. Uh, Roy is even like, he starts nice. out just surprised, but it's like, <laughs> well done. Yeah, that is how they look. Uh, while uh, while he's doing and impressed by this, he sees that Mrs. Bowen is struggling a little bit to complete the various decorations on the room. And pause. And he prom- this is the moment that Roy had the, had the choice. 
right there. That right, right is this is the moment where he can leave or he can saddle up to a line. I'm not saying he crossed one, but he saddled right up to the line. And this was the decision point. It's a question of intent of the parties involved. This could be purely innocent. He's just helping another person. They clearly do enjoy each other's company and there's nothing wrong with friendships between men and women. Could be. The problem is I don't think either of them are necessarily sure about what they know or think or want this to be. And we see that play out a little bit here in a second. Right. Uh, He offers to help. But before, he gets a text from Keeley that says that, you know, she's off with Nate to go suit shopping and reminding him that they've got the event tonight. He quickly texts her back, moves to help Mrs. Bowen, who, as much as we're now pondering all the various love triangles or quadrilaterals that are now happening on the show, is legitimately a cutie who I've quite liked on the show so far, too. Just throwing okay, that out I was there. Okay, I was going to get to that. Let me read the let me read the text between... Please. Um, yeah, so this is the, the text history between Roy and Keeley. Um, it starts at the very top, Keely XXX. So that's that's yeah. one text. There's yeah. three kisses. Yeah, yeah. Roy coming straight over. Keely, what are you wearing? Shall we save dessert for later, or do you want it straight away? Two question marks. She seems like a two question mark person. Yeah. Roy coming straight over. Keely, <laughs> I'm wearing my nice boots. Roy fit. Keely, can't wait to see you. And then we get the new text, which is, hey, Nate, taking Nate to buy a new suit. See you later tonight. Thanks for doing this. Um, Now the question I have for you. This is tough. This is going to come out like I'm objectifying these people. Please. Okay, fuck it. Just caution the wind. Do you, like, Keely is next level attractive. Do you think that this teacher is of a part? Of in the, in the same... I would say the same major leaks is my question. I personally, like just my personal preferences, I find the teacher more attractive than Keely. But wow. in, ter- in terms Whoa. of, they're not trying to put her as being at the same category or the same level. She's much more teacher hot, much more next door kind of hot, much more person you actually interact with rather than somebody you just see on Instagram kind of hot. Uh, I think I don't think they're trying to do. I think they're trying to do two different kinds of polls of different things that people are looking for and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I know, I know that some of our listeners are going to be ticked that I asked that question. I'm just trying to get to the casting. Yeah. Like, is it, is it a realistic angle considering the, I think the casting was spot on. Like you said, that that's why, that's what I was driving at is that she is believably beautiful in the role and how she's being introduced to us. I think it just is great casting. It works really well. Mm -hmm. I absolutely agree. Uh, we're going to debate endlessly by the end of the episode what the show is actually trying to represent or indicate or suggest when it comes to all of these little relationship implica- implications, but we will get there when that particular, I don't want to call it fight, but discussion happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, back at the ranch. Uh, Ted is talking with his son by web call discussing uh, show and tell that his son's about to go to and what to bring. And uh, with his son's good thinking Abe Lincoln, we can see the effect that Ted is having on his son, even at this distance. It is little Ted is emerging in the world. Little Ted wants to know, should he wear his Jamie Tart jersey or his Lego Hogwarts? Hogwarts, of course, a reference to Harry Potter, wherein Dumbledore is actually Slytherin and a new character is introduced in the last book. Every episode, leave me alone, please. Yeah. Just stop, please. Moves Hogwarts to Northern Ireland. Yeah, it's pretty pretty weird in the last book. Don't tell me Hogwarts is going to be a key factor in the re- reigniting of the Troubles. I don't need to hear this. Stop. <laughs> uh, 
while he's doing that, though, Rebecca walks in. And you can tell from the look on her face that we're going to do a repeat of the last time she walked in season one with that look on her face. Yep. Uh, Ted realizes this quickly, stops the call after a fashion, keeps going for a second. Remember, click off the window, just don't half-close your computer, folks. And Rebecca admits that she has had a torrid affair with Sam. Ooh. Now, she almost immediately Yule acknowledges... Yeah, no, 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 Sam Abasanya, uh, that this particular act on her part has forever destroyed her objectivity. Yes, for exactly this circumstance. We're seeing play out the exact reason that you don't hook up with employees, particularly in this particular industry. It. I enjoyed Ted's reaction. Uh, okay, well, uh, you know, I, I think that's great. Uh, hold on, wait, no. Yes, yes I do, no. It's fine. It's yeah, fine. I think that's fine. <laughs> he basically did what, like, all of the viewers did. I love that little, like, almost, like, fourth wall breaking. Like, all of us going, eh, ooh, eh, mm, I'm not sure. Mm, well, he, uh. he still ends with it's fine and provides the usual supporting platitudes, mostly just working off what she's saying. Another person that's not commenting on the obvious power imbalance and ethical issues at play here. But in the world of the show, apparently those just don't exist or no one feels the need to say anything about them. Or maybe he's not because of the power imbalance between the two of them. Perfectly possible, but when has Ted ever not spoken his mind to Rebecca? Fair point. Boom, counterpunched. Uh, the Ted, you know, um, said Ted's mostly offering just little supporting platitudes, some of which are actually quite funny. That, you know, limbo, great party game, horrible relationship status. <laughs> funny. Uh <laughs> Commenting that Sam and Rebecca are one of the all-time great TV couples. I'm going to dispute that they were ever actually a couple on Cheers. Oh, they were a couple? Yeah. No, no. They were never actually in a relationship. They just hooked up every now and then and briefly talked about having a baby before they decided that they were just friends. That's a relationship, Spencer. I don't think they were ever They had a constant flirtation that's remembered just because of how sexually charged it was, but I don't think they were ever actually in like the relationship that Rebecca's discussing here with Sam. Okay, I disagree with that. But do you like, like, old Rebecca? Or do you like Christy Alley when she came in? It was always Rebecca. That was always Rebecca. It was, it was, or, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, whatever the, what, what, no, what was the name of the the one before? I'm blank. I'm looking to look that up because I hate that I don't remember her God, name. God, I can't Shelley, either, Shelley Long, the actress. Yeah, yeah, the blonde lady. Did you like her more with Ted Danson or did you like um, Christy Alley? Uh, Diane Chambers. Dan Chambers, Christy Alley. It's uh, we had more time with Rebecca, but honestly, I think I like Diane better. Hmm. How about you? Uh, I think I like Diane better, too. Although I can't tell if my, my thoughts on Christy Alley are now like sort of all mixed this stuff. With like just what general Christy Alley? Later. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I like maybe I like the original better. I don't know. But it was, a, it was a great... A great um, Really great, uh, I guess, point of argument among Cheers fans. That's a, that's a really fun one. It is. Uh, Ted, now having heard the full story, offers what is... This would be perfectly sound friend advice, ignoring the whole employee boss thing. His advice is basically just listen to your heart, listen to your gut. They make good harmony like two-thirds of bone thugs and harmony, you know what I mean. It's sound enough advice just in terms of general relationship of don't listen to anybody else. Don't take advice from anybody else. You know what you need. You know what you want. Just listen to that. But it's ignoring all the other problems, which everybody else is ignoring them. So fine. Mm. Uh, what? What? Well, you're yeah, up to say something kind of, felt, kind of felt like Ted punted. 
it's kind of light. It's kind of felt like he, he punted on this situation. It felt like this might be one he didn't want to touch. Well, it, I mean, he probably shouldn't. He's the, he's the coach of the guy, too. He's got other issues that are at play here as well. This is, again, the reason you don't do this. It just complicates everything. Uh, Ted also then compliments on the kind of cyclical nature of their relationship and possibly the show, and the fact that she showed up almost a year ago to the day to have a similar revealing conversation, uh, which... She basically just responds, see you next year. We'll get more truth bombs in the future. Now, you know this show. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. season three, we're getting that scene, right? You were getting this scene again. They're, they're Absolutely in season it's three. That's again. how they do this, yeah. What is it going to be? What is going to be the next reveal? What could it What What could it be at this point? I'm selling selling to Richard from Veep. Rupert? Rupert's getting back and buying... Okay, stop saying Richard. It's going to be confusing. <laughs> You're not allowed to say Richard anymore. Okay, all right. Ooh, done. Okay. Now, Keely and Nate are doing their fashion try-on, which confirms once again that I know absolutely nothing about fashion, uh, because in my mind, everything they wear, particularly Nate's thing of a suit that he walks out in, just looks like rubbish to me. Rubbish? Uh, How dare you? Uh, I do want to point out something about Keely here. Um, Keely, gorgeous. The actress, obviously gorgeous. What I love, and, and they, they're, she's obviously like a sex symbol within the show for the other characters. I love that they make her sexy in pants. I yep, love that they true. don't feel yeah. the need to take this character who they have made really good looking in the canon and 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 force like dresses and short skirts on her. They they make they give her some power pants from time to time and she looks great in them. I love the move. She she has her own unique look. There's no need to like girlify her in that kind of way or anything. She ha- Keely looks like Keely and it's perfectly great. Faux show. Uh, Nate quite enjoys the idea of this, you know, dressing up like a rich twat and just throwing money around thing, because of course that would appeal to the vanity state that he's presently in. But it does seem like they're both having fun, with with Keely particularly commenting that Roy just never does this stuff, which the moment she says that, uh Nate gets this little twinkle in his eye kind of thing, which I've already... I didn't know what he was going to do, but from little comments like that and his little reactions to them, I'm looking at this going... He's commented how wonderful it would be to meet a relationship with Keeley before. He's commented how attractive he finds Keeley. And he seems to be responding to each of these lines that are clearly meant as innocent, but he's taking them as more. Nate, don't do it, man. Don't do it, man. Please don't do this. So this is my question for you. I established that when Keeley asked him, hey, me and you should go clothes shopping, that I felt like she shouldn't have done that. I feel like that is a part that she should have stopped before that in my mind. Now, Mm. the question I have for you is, at any point during this, do you put it on Keeley a little bit? Do you say, Keeley, you shouldn't have gone that far with whatever you said, whatever you did? Is there any of that? Is there, is, does that point happen for you in the conversation? Not really. I mean, Keeley is acting the way Keeley does with every other person. This isn't anything unique that she's throwing when it comes to Nate. And he should be aware of this. But as we just noted previously, he doesn't even have a good read on Ted. So why would he have a good read on Keeley? But she's very touchy-feely. She's very flirty. She's very social. She does this with every person that she's around. It's part of the the Keeley closeness of how quickly she's able to interact with other people. She's doing that with Nate. She's getting close with him. She's adjusting his collar. She's having a close face-to-face conversation. If it's anybody else, maybe it could confuse them. But if you know Keeley or if you have any female friends, it shouldn't really make you assume too much. But Nate doesn't have either of those things and goes to an immediate 11 in assumption about what's happening here. Okay, so no point do you think, ah, oh, man, Keely, you really shouldn't you, have done you, that. You've got one in mind. I want to hear it. What are you saying right now? Uh, I think it, I mean, I think there's a lot of those moments here, but we, we're not quite to it yet because it does let's, cut back let's to Let's go Ted through them when they Sharon, do. So when we get there, I'll, I'll talk about them, but I, I honestly think that 
taking him one-on-one clothes shopping. I'm not saying that like she's asking for it or you know any like I'm just saying that like you're saying that would, Nate had grounds I, for his the signals that he read. No, no, I'm saying that she should know men. I, I would, I believe that that character, the way they've presented her to me, would what? know men well enough to know to stay away from that that situation, just because it's just going to put Nate in a weird spot. Let me offer an example. Or put previously, her, I don't know. I'm not. No, I'm no, not I, 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 understand, I understand what you're saying, but let me offer an example of how this is just how Keely acts. Remember the whole thing with Ted and the burger, when she's just eating the burger and he's it's wiping. The, it's a great point. It's a great it's point. How, yeah, it's how she did. It, it's how she carries herself. It's so much part of her career to have that constant dilemma of intimacy and flirtation that I think she just always keeps it on. And I don't think she ever realizes that some people aren't going to be on the same page about what this actually is. Right. But my point is that she, I view her as, as man Yoda. Like she's the Yoda of men. She knows men. She's so force sensitive. Her midichlorians are sky high for men. Don't use that word around me again. And she, she would know that Ted doesn't have any of those. So she's not uh, Ted's not Nate. signaling to her Nate. in the way that Nate does. Now I'm saying she okay. would know that Ted oh, okay, okay, isn't okay, okay. signaling to her that way. That's why she could do the burger thing with him. But she would know that Nate is signaling to her. Therefore, th- I believe this character would have stayed away from the one-on-one thing. But anyway. Let's play it out live here in a bit. So we're going to watch each moment and see a character misunderstand a situation. And d- then we can analyze what happened. Faux show. Uh, uh, she encourages, uh, well, we, we see that her Roy Kent uh, uh, voice acting game is only continuing to improve. Her, imp- imp- her, her impression is really just getting spot on at this point. I'm Roy Kent. Uh, and after what is a incredibly awkward, prolonged stare at Nate's crotch by both her Oof. and the, uh, what would we refer to the guy that's helping the mess? Is he the, is, is, uh, a tailor of sorts? What would, tailor, what would we call probably, him? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe like a... Um... Uh, they have weird names for them. They do, and this is this is a this, really this is a names like that. Yeah, this is above the circles that I roam around in, so I can't even fake knowing what this guy what like this guy's job exactly is or something. Yeah, yeah. the fashionista. Uh, now, after a overly long, prolonged stare at Nate's crotch, they then decide that they're going to enjoy what is apparently remarkably overpriced alcohol, perfectly gratis. And I'm kind of in the same page there. If I find out that something's like you know. A hundred dollars a glass, but is free for me. I'm at least going to take up that opportunity, please. Okay. Uh, now, while that's happening, Ted comes back into what he's viewed recently as Doctor Sharon's office, only to find that Higgy Bottoms has returned. He has reclaimed not, not, his territory. Not, not. He has found his home once again. Ted's surprised, and uh, they discuss that. Well, uh, you know, I need to talk to Doctor Sharon. We were just uh, setting up a birthday party for Colin. This reveals that apparently Higgins has an encyclopedic knowledge of everyone's birthday on the planet. Didn't know this about the man, but he then goes on to prove it with just like five random examples that Ted just shouts out, which I double checked. I almost assumed that he was just making this up and fucking with us. All true. All right. Every one of these is accurate. Yep. Little known fact here on the Lasso Lowdown, Spencer and I have the same birthday. We do. It's just the... No bullshit. This is part of the reason I assumed he was bullshitting is that I am so bad with birthdays, I would forget your birthday every year if it wasn't the same day as mine. And I still have to be reminded every now and then that it's my birthday. So I am completely in a different headspace than Higgins is on this And you still issue. have, in the past, missed some missed the happy birthday text some years, even though yes, it's your birthday. Yes, at the it same has time. happened. <laughs> I utterly suck at this, so kudos to Higgins that he is on the complete opposite end of that spectrum. Uh to Ted's exceptional disappointment, like though, 
uh, Higgins reveals that Dr. Sharon has already left, and the surprise party that's been planned is utterly thwarted. And rather than say goodbye, she left letters for everyone. Now, Ted's already hopping mad. He doesn't want to hear this. He doesn't want to experience this. But we already get from Higgins that he already opened and read his letter, and it was apparently really good. So he's trying to encourage Ted, hey, Ted, look at your letter, look at the letter. Ted doesn't even want to be involved in this experience anymore. He starts storming out of the room. Now, uh, Higgins, though, has gotten a pretty good read on Ted, particularly his love of puns, so he has the perfect line to get Ted to come charging back. Ted, Ted, don't let her get away with it, Ted. I love the callback to this joke from season one because I loved it then too. This is the Caesar you later joke. Ted, football player, yes. busts in the door. It's like, yes, and grabs the letter and goes. <laughs> Good work, Higgy Bottoms. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Edwin and Sam are at a museum staring at a giant Nigerian painting by Kelechi Nawaneri, uh, who is actually a young Nigerian uh, artist. Uh, and I believe the painting is Carry You Home, if I have it correct. Uh, their love of this painting and the fact it's prominently displayed in a museum confirms once again that I also have absolutely no taste in art because it just looks f- uh, fine in there to me. But sure. Whoa. Yeah, we differ there. That painting uh, is dope. It I'm is glad that nice. everyone enjoys it. it. I know I have no taste in art, and this just further proves it. We'll we'll do we'll do a little we'll do a little Edwin Sam afternoon one day. We'll go to the we'll go to a museum together. <laughs> It'll be fascinating to see how different you are. I'll, I'll you talk you through some regard. modern art. We'll have a we'll have a blast. Best of luck, sir. Uh, Edwin uh, claims to have bought it, bought the painting back because he intends to donate it to a Ghana museum because it belongs in Africa. As you said, strategy. There's yes. a strategy here. There's a marketing mm-hmm. pitch that he is engaged in right now with Sam and hitting right Africa. Every point is is part of it. The other thing he claims is that he's a walking contradiction as he's a billionaire who purportedly doesn't believe that billionaires should exist. Shout out Bernie Sanders. He says this, well, yeah, it's quote Bernie Sanders. Uh, He says this, but he does seem perfectly content at what value it can have to throw money around for the purpose that he's here today. Because, as he reveals, uh, he actually, well, we'll get there in a second, but he claims that he intends to break up his father's empire and use the money to make better things, and hopefully make things better. Stick around. Elizabeth Warren will handle that for you, Edwin. <laughs> Sam is surprised and <laughs> impressed and notes that, you know, you're so down to earth. You don't even have security detail here. I'm objecting to that point. Sam saw the security detail, like, when they showed up. Yeah, Who did he assume well, all well, those guys Was Sam were? on the field, though? Was Sam on the field Why doing the bye-bye-bye dance? I didn't I think see he, him. I, I was pretty sure I saw him. And why wouldn't he be? The whole team's there. I, I just didn't think, I didn't think I saw him there. But anyway, I could be wrong. But... So, whatever that, but the guy just says, hey, you know, I actually bought out the museum and filled it full of actors. Which is either bullshit or is very purposeful, excessive aggrandizement to impress Sam and control the experience that he wants Sam to have. Maybe a little column A, column B. Uh, It also shows that the whole thing about, you know, not believing billionaires should exist and intending to not be one he does seem to be enjoying a lot of the perks that come with throwing all this kind of money around, at least. Man, you don't like Edwin. Did you see? Did you catch the line from Sam after he said everybody's an actor here? Uh, yeah, you recognized one of the guys from uh, I Shall Destroy You. I May Destroy You. You know, yeah. you know what that is? Uh, that, it's a love. I love the writers of the show. 
It's a great Dr. Show. Sharon, the actress, is an actor on I May Destroy You. I did not know that. I've so watched I watched like the Oh, I thought I recognized him from I May Destroy You. It's like what the audience is doing with Dr. Sharon. I think I've... Oh, so good. Brilliant. Uh, the two of them head off for lunch, and before they do... Banksy! <laughs> Edwin claims to have just introduced Sam to Banksy. Is this just Banksy in universe of the show? Or is he just uh, it's, really it's just fucking I don't right? think I don't think we know Banksy still. I can't, my we don't, sleuthing says we still we, don't know Banksy. We don't know Banksy. This is not real life Banksy. I just guarantee that. Maybe. Maybe. I've also, in my mind, this just further proves the sort of bullshit artist that Edwin is. Because I don't believe he just knows Banksy and invited him here just randomly. Maybe. I don't believe that. We never Maybe know with Banksy. The, That's the thing. You never know. How could you be sure? Betting it's not a schluppy white guy in a suit. Just betting he's not? Can't be sure, though. You don't think that Banksy wants to be outed by Richard from Veep on fucking Ted Lasso? <laughs> I'm offering this statement. I'm putting my feet in the sand. <laughs> this is the position I am taking on this particular subject, yes. I think I'm going to vote with you on this one. Okay. Uh, back at the clothing try-on. This is where you can start offering some commentary. Please jump in at certain moments when you think that certain messages All are right. being sent. Every time I think that Keely gives a signal that she shouldn't have gave, not saying that she doesn't have the right to give it or that Nate should be trying to kiss her. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is she's giving signals that I feel like Jedi that she is, she should know better than to give. At least particularly with Nate, maybe. And as we discussed, she's off her game. These are these are things that she may have known in a better headspace that Nate in particular would read wrong. I'm getting really or... in my head about this because I don't want it to sound like I'm like saying like... I understand where you're coming should... from here. Like she shouldn't be allowed to flirt with him, or that it's like her fault or something. I'm, what I'm, I, I'm not, I don't know if I'm articulating it correctly. I'm just saying I feel like this character is so uber smart that she just wouldn't go down this road with this so, guy. I think that's what, what I'm trying to say. What you're basically saying is that she, with the experience that she has and the knowledge she has and the skills that she wields, should have been like eight steps ahead in this conversation. Yeah, she wouldn't be surprised. She's constantly behind the eight ball. Exactly. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw I'm gonna give this sound. You do the recap, and I'll go ding every time I think that Keely shouldn't have done something. Okay. Closing Considering trial. all that context before. Yeah. Uh, Nate is modeling a nice black suit that looks exactly like something that Roy would wear. Uh, Keely seems appreciative. I think saying something along the lines of, fuck, that's hot or sexy Ding. or something like that. Yeah. Uh, she offers many compliments and then comes in to help Nate with, you know, adjusting his collar and getting his Ding. tie right. She gets very close and she kind of feels up a little bit on his neck, which he keeps Ding. kind of like flinching and smiling to. Her face is about six inches away from his during the course Ding. of the entire conversation. Uh, she, they have a very kind of personal, uh, I mean, she, there's a lot of close body contact that if you either mm. don't know Keely or don't have a lot of experience with female friends, you might find, you might very much assume as Nate does. And again, he doesn't have any of those things. Uh, he, Nate immediately thanks Keely for being basically so awesome to which she immediately returns the compliment and says he's awesome too. Ding. Uh, they discuss wanting to be the boss and Keely Re- goes through the reasons that, that she that she wants to be such, discussing you know not wanting to be like her mom, and then meeting Rebecca and being inspired by her, Damn. and that you know wants to be able to dream big, and you know her and Nate are two people that have to dream big, ding, ding, and that ding. you know, yeah, uh, and throughout all of this, from just the moment they had this conversation, she got close. Nate's I mean, the act, the actor who plays Nate. Much as we hate the character now, the actor who plays Nate does a really great job. Phenomenal! With him. Oh God, I, you can see the transformation as he's going through, and you, you can see his the how gears he's are working. The actor yes. does a great job. Yeah, and by the end of it, he's just he looks like he's just like gobsmacked, like he's just been hit with fairy dust. Like he's just yeah. there's nothing going on there. The the moment she got close, I was immediately just flinching back from my TV. It's like Keely, you're. Keely, you, you, ding, mm, ding, Nate, Nate, ding. Nate, don't do it, Nate. Yeah, but 
as this conversation goes on, though, the little expressions that he does on his face, the little twists, the little shakes, the little smiles, I was damn certain what he was going to do about a minute and a half before it happened. For sure. Yeah. This uh, was telegraphed. So I, I'm panicking. I, I'm screaming at the TV, don't you fucking do it. And then he leans in and just straight up kisses her. And I'm screaming at my television. It's awkward. It's it's the god of awkwardness made manifest upon Earth in terms of what goes on between these two people right here, right now. It's Nate, really I'm, awkward. But Nate can I immediately offer realizes this? what? Sorry, please go ahead. Uh, Keeley is a 100% pro in this situation. I have never. I don't think I've ever in my life been around it. I've I've done the awkward kissing to someone who didn't want it. I've been awkwardly kissed by somebody I didn't want to kiss me. I've seen it happen. I've been around this type of situation, unfortunately, in my life. I've never seen someone handle it as well as she does. She uh, goes. She goes dead fish. She doesn't like hit him or push him away. She goes dead fish. He stops and then she looks right in his eyes and smiles and says, "It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It fine. happens sometimes to the best of us." Like, Nate's a piece of shit. I don't think he deserves Keely in that situation. Oh, no, because no, no. Because she is so... Keely is... So empathetic in that moment. She could have been really, really cruel, and she wasn't. I just, like, shout out to how she handled that. She she is bending over backwards to try to make it less awkward for him, regardless of what she's going through. As you said, she is just focused on making the experience as... as, as I'm not gonna say as pleasant as possible, but as least unpleasant as possible for Nate, which she uh, and, in no way is under an obligation to do. No, God, no. under no way. But I, that's what I'm saying. I don't think he deserves her. How oh, kind God, she is no. in that. No, moment. no, no, no. It's it, it, a kind of sad thing to say here. She may be so expert at it because, sadly, in her profession, she's probably had a lot of unsolicited kisses before. Or just yeah, as unfortunately, woman, sadly, unfortunately she's probably had that happen. But uh, yeah, I, I, this is this is a bad move from Nate. You should never just what? lean in and for the he, kiss he, when you don't know. But he, I just feel like she's just, the way she handles yeah. it is elite tier kind. It, it is very much that. It's just unfortunate that she has to be the one to do that. Because Nate immediately just realizes that he fucked up. Immediately retreats back to the room, just embarrasses all hell. And then does the really disgusting thing that Nate does when he needs to be reassured of himself. He spits in his own image in the mirror, which if, if you ever want a perfect, just kind of a perfect act to just summarize what Nate's going through and the self-loathing and the discomfort of his own skin, his empowerment ritual of spitting on himself in the mirror is just perfect and, and just hitting what his headspace is. So two additional points here. One is, Wendy, do, do you think that Nate goes into that fit of apology because she doesn't kiss back do you think that's like that that's what because he seems super confident and he moves in for the move and then it boom it snaps so fast do you think what? it's just because she didn't kiss back immediately i i think a mix between that and as you noted nate is not the most perceptive person on the planet god that's that's that is saying absolutely nothing at all but the expression on keely's face while kind and polite is also a profound obvious clear no yeah. And I I don't think there's any way he could have misunderstood that message. Yeah. And then the second thing is when you go into a restaurant with a lot of people and you spit into the mirror and you leave, someone might suspect it's you, but they, they, they don't know. Who else in is going to be here? You are in a fitting room. When you leave, the guy's going to go in there to clear the clothes out. Like he's going to know. Everyone is going to know that Nate did this. Like yeah, <laughs> Keely might even find out. I should probably heard it. It's not like there's a big barrier in between there. That's a fair point. He does kind of hawk one. <laughs> Just adding to the awkwardness of the situation. He kisses Nate, me. Nate, you okay I tell... in there? 
Nate, you okay, buddy? <laughs> what the hell is happening right now? Do I just leave? Uh, scene, thank God, ends. Uh, and we're back in the classroom. Uh, Roy, still helping Mrs. Bowen, seemingly hours later, three hours as we find out later, uh, with Roy commenting on her class's drawings being much more impressive than the neighboring teacher's. Apparently, mm-hmm. she's the hard-ass teacher, the main one that none of the kids like, other than Phoebe, because Phoebe's awesome and smart, okay. uh, with some absolutely glorious nicknames attached to her by the kids, which so I love good. that she 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 claims to not know what any of there are, but Roy just gives her a look of, fuck you, mm. you know what they are. Of course you she do, you're the, the teacher. Mm. Uh, did you have any favorites? Because I had two that I just absolutely loved. Well, did you have, Do you have them all written down? No, I, I just wrote down my favorite two, but... My, so my Mrs. Miss Bowlegs, Miss Boring, yep. Miss Bonehead, Miss Belland, Bodie, Miss Boatface, and there's one little boy who just calls me Fuckwitch. Uh, Bodie, Miss Boatface, and Fuckwitch are awesome. I love those. Bodie, McBos- Bodie Miss Boatface is my favorite. I would say uh, Miss Bowlegs also old school. Solid. I understand, for Bo- but for it's Bowen, a solid. Yeah. Bowlegs is also a really solid, uh, like childish I, insult. For- for me, just the audacity of fuck witch is just great. Whoever that, that kid is, she, he's that was got obviously balls. her favorite too. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Roy really actually got appreciated in this regard because, in his view, the best teachers are the tough ones. Noting his own m- Mad Max style of training of a guy just chasing him around in a lawnmower while he was while he was you know, trying to le- uh, first learn soccer, which motorbike, motorbike. Sorry, which uh, she thinks is utterly absolutely abhorrent, but in his perspective, taught him to run fast. <laughs> Uh, Ms. Bowen continues to ready herself for uh, the all the flirting that the dads are going to do with her when uh, the auction is done and the various parent-teacher meetings occur. Uh, and casually, for no reason, you know, just working it into the conversation, just to ask, uh, Roy, you married? Clearly, there's no intent or anything else behind that. Honestly, I think it's maybe like two-thirds, ca- half casual conversation, half intent in their question in that regard. Uh, um, I'm going to step in here for the teacher. Roy yeah. has lingered there for three hours. I know, it's perfectly like, fair. She, she is well within her rights to progress to a personal question here. Like, I mean, what the yeah. hell are you doing, Roy? Like, I keep, do, I, you know, I, I'm trying to draw the parallel. I'm doing the dings for Keely and I'm doing the uh-ohs for Roy. Because Roy yeah. is also in a situation where he's doing things that I don't think he should do unless he wants to go down that road with her. I don't Lingering think for he... three hours to sit and chat. Spencer, I know you're a friendly man. And I've yeah. seen you go long with people talking. Yeah. Would you say that three hours in that classroom is a little excessive? Bit excessive. Bit okay. excessive. And if it's if Spencer says it's excessive, it's beyond the pale. But for particularly a lot of since us. it's not like they're friends. It's not like they're buddies. That's like yeah. Going at yeah. he he's met her like four times, maybe more because he was the coach in the team. But they're professional colleagues practically. So it's a little him just hanging out, chatting, discussing, flirting with dads for three hours. It's a bit of an odd look, Roy, about why exactly you're doing this. Maybe he just enjoys her company. Maybe the he banter's knows. a little flirty too. I mean, it's just it's a bad. He, I'm not saying he's again not crossing a line, just settling well, up to it. He clearly enjoys her company. They clearly get along well. They clearly enjoy talking with her. I don't think Roy's had the kind of pondering about whether his reasons for being there are any more than that. I don't think he's really conceptualized whether there are something more going on and i think it's kind of the question that gets him this little starry-eyed look off in the distance look because she asks him are you married and he just says no and after he does 
he kind of gets this weird little stare-off, pondering, why-did-I-answer-that-way kind of quest uh, look on his face. Um, I, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. We're going we're gonna to be on different sides of this one. I think Roy knows exactly what he's doing. I will, He may not want to verbalize it, but if he is being honest, if you give him the, boom, you shoot him with the truth serum, he's going to tell you, this is a pretty teacher, and I'm here flirting with her. Maybe. Maybe. That's just Whether my opinion. He, whether he has any intentions beyond that, maybe too. Let's we're saving some time. We got to debate all these relationship issues by the end of the episode because God, do we get a lot by the time this episode is done? Absolutely. He gets a text. Or he gets a reminder on his phone. Um, so he heads off the photo shoot, notably dropping a mess of bills on the table and snagging all of Phoebe's port- all of Phoebe's uh, drawings. Loki, one of my favorite things about Roy, bad money manager. He just, if you notice, he just like hands cash to people. Funk. Yeah. I, how, how, I don't even know how much cash he dropped. It was just this wad of bills. Twenties, yeah, wad of twenty yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Mrs. Uh, Bowen seems, I think, a little bit disappointed that he's not staring for the art show, um, but he heads off. And then the other teacher comes in and does that classic in-between friends Ooh. thing of "Ooh, what was that?" Ooh, to which she basically just tells her to fuck off. Yeah, but I, that could be seen as a throwaway line. I actually don't think it is. I think that they're telling you that she's a lot like Roy. That little, like, Karen, for God's sakes, grow the fuck up. Like, that is the part of Roy's personality that I think that she can connect with that Keely doesn't. Keely doesn't have that same gear. And so I felt like they threw that in to show you, what? like, hey, he's got he's got a little something here with this lady that he might not have with Keely. And we've gotten that a few times. The two of them seem to be on the uh, They vibe in a certain way. Like when he was the coach and, you know, he's talking about, you know, another example I definitely remember when he she's telling him not to curse because Phoebe's starting to curse they have that little conversation he agrees to start improving on things but the moment he walks away she sees glitter on her hands and just says fucking glitter and starts wiping them off yeah yeah she's got exactly. that kind of coarse edge the same way Roy does yep. um, and she, yep. she agreed with them also about just being a hard ass when it came to the little players too and that they're little bastards um he heads off uh and we go back now to Ted who has seemingly also for hours just camped out in front of uh, Dr. Sharon's flat, looking to catch her as she comes back. Holding well, in well, pee. Well, well, look what the weird bike rode in. Which is that fun line, but Ted, you bought her that bike. This is the bike that you got her after her last one got wrecked. But whatever, he's pissed. Um, she invites him in, and he confronts her over just leaving without saying goodbye. She claims she's not good with goodbyes. She doesn't like to do them, but Ted is hearing nothing of that. Offering that, well, when I was a baby, I wasn't good at walking and talking, but I stuck with it and look at me now. Which is, he's in a very childish space right now. He's offended and he wants you to know that he's offended right now. Uh, She asks him whether he read the letter, but he's focused on the whole thing and that they planned this whole presentation and that, you know, how difficult it is to teach grown man choreography and we even got a cash gift which he throws throws on the table. Ted... Starts going professional about it, a professional, her professional bend about it. We focus on the idea that I've got a history of abandonment. You know this. You know about my wife. You know about my dad. We had a breakthrough about this, and you still you leave without saying goodbye. How can you do that? It wasn't even a breakthrough for me. It was a breakthrough for us that we had. And she agrees. She says very specifically that he helped her to become a better therapist, despite the fact she was already fucking brilliant, by learning to <laughs> express her punk. Yeah. I... I have come so far with this character in terms of where I started versus yeah. where I've ended up in terms of how much I've come to appreciate and understand her better. Which is uh, saying something because I was already fucking brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> that 
she's learned that you know revealing her own vulnerabilities can be a very important part of helping a patient be able to reveal theirs which is a very important thing for her to learn and she got that through ted and he has a brief moment of being legitimately appreciative that you know she said that and then she says oh, it's in the letter and just kind of pissed he's like fine fuck it I, grabs the letter goes up to read it him reading this letter without saying a word aloud other than commenting that she apparently misspelled i think it was forever or something um, um favorite she didn't misspell favorite, it yeah. she did the, she did the british spelling and that's why oh, he said that with, with the u gotcha yeah mm-hmm. um, that's why she gives him a look like oh ted you american yeah the acting that goes into him just silently reading this letter and then looking up at her and her kind of looking away whenever he does is beautiful yeah two of them crush this scene that's why I'm disappointed that she's leaving the show I hope she returns at some point in the future because the two of them have just worked so well off each other they bring out the best in both their acting it's great and his physical emotive acting without saying a damn word throughout all of this Jason Sudeikis you continue to impress me more every episode love this scene love this bit of acting goes through love the just journey we see go through him where we have no idea what is written but we already have an idea of it just based on we see what effect it has upon him great stuff he's by the end of it he is visibly choked up. Dr. Sharon is visibly uncomfortable to have this all happen in person. She would have much preferred if this had all happened somewhere else and they talked about it at a distance later. She's still not that kind of great, just perfectly impersonal one-on-one. As, as, as far as she's coming, how much more comfortable she is now compared to where she started. Yes. But she does say that her train does not leave till midnight. How about we go out and get a drink together? You commented on this earlier, that one of the key moments of progression was previously refusing the idea of socializing with people outside of the professional capacity, then agreeing to go have one drink with the players when they invited her. Now, on her exit, she is comfortable to invite someone else out to go have a drink together. My, how far she has come in terms of being more comfortable around these people. Right. But, you know, we did see the empty liquor bottles in her house and see her drinking alone, and the idea that she can only be around people socially if she has a drink, probably not super great. But let's put all that aside. Instead, I want Silver to lining. About, Focus on the rosy side of things, too. But yeah, yes. I mean, you know, they're giving us, giving us enough there to cock our head and go, ooh. Um, but here's what I'll say is that, um, yeah, I'm going to offer a, a, just gonna shock you, a personal story. Um, Please. So this idea of what happens when you have a breakthrough with a therapist, you get close to the therapist, develop a good relationship with a therapist. A rapport. They need to break it off. Yeah. Uh, because they need to move on or whatever. There's a lot of differing sort of thoughts about this um, in, in, in the community and, and in people who, who engage in therapy. I can tell you, I had a personal experience where I had a therapist for 10 years. Oh. 10 years, I saw her at least once a month, sometimes two or three times a month. We developed a very close relationship, and then she called me and said, I took another job. I am not, I'm not going to be in therapy anymore. I'm actually taking a corporate job, and it's been fun. That's what I got at one call. There was not a debrief. There was not a let's let's go in for one last session. There wasn't anything, uh, and I can tell you that that was not great for me. Uh, that really, I can really did sort of blow me back and like hurt me. Um, I'm not saying that they should have like a like a sit down. I think Ted overdoes it, right? I think he he's overdoing. Ted overdoes it. Come yeah, on. Yeah, I think he's overdoing like the expectation of what Doctor Sharon course, was going yeah. should have given him. But I do think that like if you have been in a, like therapy for a long time and the person the therapist needs to end it i do think at least sitting down with the person having like a, a conversation about it the hey uh took a big money job with a with a company like adios amigo yeah. um, fuck, fuck off bye yeah after 10 years of therapy with this lady really wasn't great for me so that's what i have to offer is that i think the answer like most things somewhere in the middle 
Well, practically with Ted, can you imagine him having any kind of just emotionally revealing moment with another person without then thereafter viewing them as his best friend? It's yeah, Ted. well, that's... It, yeah, and that's kind of what I wanted to... like. What, that's why I'm trying to say it's like somewhere in the middle, you. right? Because I do think that like it's worth saying that like what te- the, what Ted's expectation for this, like we it's, like if you uh, if you're you're watching the show and you haven't you've never done therapy before, but you're going to get into it, like don't have the expectation that Ted does because that's too much. But I do think that like if you've been going to somebody for years, like I do think there is some. I think it's fair to have some expectation of at least a a debriefing session to talk about, you know, okay, well, who, who are you going to see next? What? And let's talk about some of the things that we've been working on. That type of thing, not just a, hey, deuces, adios. I, mean, I would just almost expect it from a professional standpoint of just part of your continuing treatment. I mean, it'd be like, it'd be like if a doctor just left me high and dry and didn't give me a referral by yes. who else I could talk to there afterwards or didn't, you know, forward my records onto somebody else or suggest somebody else. I would be offended just from the, the degree of, hey, I came to you for help and my help is ongoing, why the hell are you leaving me in the lurch right now? Yeah, I mean, I would, I would probably may, maybe make a comparison to, like, an orthopedic, like, uh, doctor. Sure. And yeah. maybe, like, you have, like, something actually wrong with, like, a leg, right? Like, and, like, fi- you, they, they're helping you figure shit. out how to, like, operate on that beat-up leg, and then all of a sudden the guy's just like, peace? Like, no. The thing yeah. is to say, okay, we've been working on these exercises. Here's what you'll continue. You know, here's the new doctor you're going to work with. That's the right way to do it. Do, do you need like a, hey, bestie, like, here's a hug. Let me get your personal cell phone number. I'll call you when you get home that Ted is expecting? No, little much. No, 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 no. Although it does uh, seem that they are, they're, yeah. For a second there, I thought they might be going a different road with those two. I was glad they didn't. I was really me glad too. they didn't. Me too. Oh, God, I, me too. The, the fact that the two of them just end this as being good friends yes. beyond just simply a professional capacity and really understand each other better and really seem like they actually just enjoy each other's company as friends is so much better than having them go in for a kiss kind of thing or whatever. Else. God, wouldn't you have been so disappointed if they made that romantic? Because it, it would feel like they're making everything romantic if they did that. And I'm so it, glad that like, they did. like, I don't need everybody to fuck. I'm per- I'm happier Ooh. that they don't. Okay. I'm happier that we just see friendships forming. It's great. It's lovely. Yes. Um, sign. Sam is having lunch with Edwin. Uh, they're commenting, on, and Sam's commenting that he's never had West African food this good in London. You, sir, have commented before, I believe, that you like West African food. Am I right? Love West African food. It looks tasty on this table. I have never had it before. I'm eager to try it at some point in the future. Mm. Um, Edwin claims that. Edwin claims that he actually had this place created as a pop-up with just his own chefs and his own friends as a clientele. Again, as part of this just massive marketing equation when it comes to Sam. Now, this is... This is, in my mind, part of the reason I think I've got certain distrust of Edwin, of where if I was in Sam's shoes, at a certain point I was like, dude, I get it. I really get it. This is a little bit strong-arming I'm now getting now. Just dial it back. I understand what this pitch is. You don't need to wine and dine and seduce me this much. Because, man, he is hitting this thread as hard as he possibly can when it comes to Sam. Now, in Sam's case, it is working. It is working hard. Yeah, he's twenty one, and he's he's like more tr- like uh, openly like trusting. I think maybe than than like you are but, or most people are. But, um, he's he's like a little puppy dog that way, right? He just he just expects the best in people. But, I do like the call out of when he came to the Christmas episode. He brought jollof rice, and yeah, uh, the guy the has made jollof rice for him, and he Nigerian he style too. Nigerian style, it's spicy. Uh, now, it, it's one of those, yeah, you perfectly hammered at home, is that my default reaction to somebody that's being, like, excessively friendly or excessively nice is like, dude, what are you selling me? Just don't don't piss in my ear and tell me it's raining. Let's get to the point here. 
Yes. Sam is not in that headspace. He's really much going into, this is lovely, this is great, yeah. this is everything I want to hear. It's just adding to exponentially to what he wants out of this, and that's exactly what Edwin's trying to do when it comes to this. Yep. Um, he, he's, he, he, again, all of this is part of, the, part of persuading Sam. Sam, though, just politely really tells him, again, just kind of cutting to chasing his part, which is nice that he does this, that I really can't see a scenario of where me, I'm leaving Richmond. I can't. This is all great. This is all lovely, but I'm not there. Edwin, having gotten Sam just where he wants them, now drops the bomb. He's gotten Here's Sam the big receptive. He's gotten closeness. Now he's going to be like, even does it perfectly. You're the fourth person to do. This is a secret. We're sharing secrets, leaning close. This is private knowledge. Us, and, just a couple of African guys that nobody here else understands. You know, all the rest of these these non-Africans here don't understand it. Yeah, it's it's definitely creating that little closed circle. Absolutely. Even leans in a little bit when he says it. It's that he's intending to buy Raja Casablanca, which is a real team. I was kind of surprised they name dropped a real team here. Yeah. It's the main team in Morocco. It's arguably the most popular team in all of Africa. That he is intending to buy them out, which I totally don't believe that $1.2 billion is enough to do that. No, but that's, said, that's my problem with the money. Why didn't they just give him a, a higher number? I don't understand. I mean, I, I don't, they, I don't would know. Would it kill them to say $5 billion? I don't know how much a telecom giant in, in Ghana would be making or be inheriting. I don't know. Again, money is flexible in this particular world. Let's say he's got enough where he's going to partner with other people. I've got, there's an evil theory I saw passing around online that uh, connecting dots that Rupert's actually going to be a co-partner in this. And it's all part yes. of actually just screwing over uh, Rebecca. I think that that's, a, and, and Nate will be the coach. Yes, that's what uh, I think. That could be fascinatingly evil come the way, way to end this season and set up the tension and conflict for the next season. I think it's I possible. That. We'll talk about it. We don't it know the end, enough to know this that theory. It, it's linking data points that we know, but we assume Rupert's buying a team. We see these discussing buying out Nate. A new guy comes in who's looking to buy a team. He's only talked with four people and he's playing cagey about what the opportunities are. And we've discussed that none of them seem like they have enough individual money to buy a team. Maybe, but I, we don't know enough yet. Um, but he hits home that he's looking to buy this team and he wants to make it the biggest club, one of the biggest clubs in the world. It's kind of like a pan-African team. He wants to set up circumstances where the best African players around the planet will be called back home to join this team. Bayern, United, PSG, Barcelona, Casablanca. Casablanca. He's, I love the little arrow voice he does, too. It's the Perfect. marketing pitch he's doing. It, this is everything he wants Here's to say. elevator pitch, yep. And he is with a, with a 20-year goal that an African team will be winning the World Cup. And Sam is essential in that regard. Not just because he's a damn good player, he is. But because of his plot line earlier in the season with the Nigerian government and the old companies, that he became a public face of standing up and representing and speaking for Africa. It's good to see that plot line have some relevance this season. I'm still disappointed it didn't get more traffic, but at least it's coming back to some degree of relevance of where it may be going with Sam. So I appreciate that to a certain degree. Sam, this is exactly what Sam wanted to hear. He wanted to feel like he had a personal connection with this guy. He wanted to hear that this was going to be about African values and going back to Africa and representing African interests. And now to hear that he has a plan and it's going to be a very much African-centric, African, I don't want to say nationalism, pan-African kind of philosophy. This is exactly in Sam's wheelhouse. For sure. At, um, so, he's, you know, it looks like he's got to need, need a little bit of time to decide this. And Edwin smiles and encourages him to take all the time he needs. And then the smile drops completely. He gets this serious look on his face we haven't seen previously. And he says, you have 72 hours. And then just like flicking a switch, the smile reappears. Which is, again, the other things I have, I have certain questions about this man. I don't know if I'm not 
tr- about I'm not trusting him because of unfairness or my own just issues. But there's aspects of this man that just don't come across as perfectly genuine to me. But mm. Smile returns. They go in to share some food. And Sam, picking up on none of what my concerns are, just seems like he's having an absolutely lovely day. Meanwhile, Roy arrives at the photo shoot. And after a comment on his eyebrow game, once again by the, by the main coordinator at the event... I personally think his eyebrows are lovely, but that's just me. They Roy, look I'm fine. Here. That's, Roy, that's Roy, part Roy, of the shtick. He's a here for you. Uh, he goes in up, up to see Keely. He apologized to her for being late. She says, you know, it's fine. He says that she looks cool as fuck. I love the way that Roy compliments people. They're just so genuine and they're so Roy. Yeah, you look cool as fuck. Uh, he asks about the shoot shopping with Nate, and she at first just kind of dodges the question and says that it was fine. She instead, though, asks for support because she is losing it with her nerves right now. And really, honestly, it catches Roy off guard, it catches me off guard, too, because we've never really seen Keeley this at ends when it comes to something in this particular wheelhouse. Because Roy comments, this is what you do. You do photo shoots all the time. I mean, you did an ad where you jumped out of an airplane topless while eating a hamburger. How much worse can this be? Uh, She's, I didn't say who it was, but it feels like something the Hardys would do back in the day. Um, so she says, there's no way you should be this rattled. But to Keeley, this is kind of the first one that really matters, though. Because all those other ones, those are just about how she looked. This one's about her. They're asking about her, her goals. And the article will really let people see who the real her is. And I love that kind of moment of vulnerability because Keely, honestly speaking, that no, this is actually foreign territory for me. I've never really been this open and honest about something that actually matters to me. I'm hot. People know I'm hot. I've marketed yeah, that for a long this time. Is super but realistic, this right? is Yeah, this is me as an up and rising business person, an important person to be. People that are going to be looking up to beyond just simply of look at this Instagram hot model. That's a lot of, in her mind, that's a lot of both responsibility, but also vulnerability. And she doesn't know she, whether she's ready for that. Yeah, and I think it probably, the way she's talking about this in her mind, there's a bit of like intellect testing she think is going on. Maybe too, yeah. She's having to to show her cards as far as like how, what her intellect really is. Whereas before she always had like a, she was almost acting. It was like a cartoonish like character that she was portraying. So I think that like now she's like, oh, but now she can actually have that barometer of like, oh God, do I, do I look dumb? Do I look whatever? Because if you look dumb before, she was trying to look dumb. Right. right because she was now now it matters to her. I thought it was a really realistic sort of insight into this character. I absolutely agree. And I love the distinction you drew that everything she's done previously was kind of a facade. It was a mask that she put on as acting on stage. This is just tearing all that away. It is the raw her, and there's nothing she can do to hide from that. Um, Roy comes over to her, he crouches in front of her, and he says the most perfect thing ever for what she needs to hear right now. Uh, I have it all written down, but if you if you have it, I want you to read it. The real you is fucking amazing. And now the whole world is going to get to see it. You are Keely fucking Jones, the independent woman. You are going to kill it. Keely, so I should keep my top on, Roy, maybe for one shot. So that you've almost answered this question here that I had for you, Spencer. You you think so my questions my questions I wrote down were do you think this is do you think this helped Keely and do you think this is genuine from Roy? Yes, I very much believe so. I, I'm not. I'm clearly not as far as you are in terms of them having a, having a kind of mental state of getting away from this relationship. I think they're still very much committed from each other. They're just having the growing pains that relationship go through and just pondering what you want and pondering what that means. Okay. I, I think as he sits down there before her, everything he says is genuine. He's saying it with stars in his eyes. He clearly loves and cares about her. And she seems 
almost overwhelmed with appreciation of him saying this to her and exactly what she needs to hear in this moment. Yeah. I know you don't agree, but this I is mean, where I I'm just coming felt from. Like, I felt like it was, I felt like Roy was punting a little bit. I felt like this, ah. this whole speech was really vague and platitudes. And I feel like if in this situation, if you're really going to sit down and get and bolster someone's confidence in this way, you need to have a little bit more specifics other than you're just great. Like sitting and saying, hey, you, you're great. Like I think he could have, it could have been more impactful in my mind if he just said, hey, Keely, you're the woman who did X. You're the woman who's done Y. You're brilliant. Like to give examples and actually break it down as opposed to this platitude of like, hey, you're great. Because I mean, reverse it for a second and think like if you're having trouble with something, you know, if you're having trouble with your own confidence and someone sits down and just tells you you're great. I mean, does that really work? I mean, it, it's that, not that's just, not the that's not the build up speech that usually helps me. It's good words. It's good platitudes. It does do a, a very personal kind of reference when he does the independent woman thing, because that was one of the first things they ever that she ever said to sure, him. Yeah, the, the independent yeah, woman in the press room, uh, in the press room, the first, they're setting up the first date. It's not just that, though. It's the delivery and the look that he has when he does it. It's the it's the reminding of her that he thinks that she farts rainbows. It's the reminder that he sees her as the awesome person that she is, and now everybody else is going to too. It's the adoration that he has and recognizing that I'm speaking truth. Yeah, I just tend to think that if somebody doesn't have confidence in something they're doing or some aspect of themselves, simply telling them, hey, you're good at that, or hey, that's a good thing, doesn't always like break through that veneer, doesn't always actually get to them sometimes yeah i think you have to kind of like give specifics to show the person like hey here's what i'm seeing let me let me show you the things that you've done that prove my point sometimes that's a little bit more impactful is all i'm saying so it felt like he punted just just a smidge you tailor this to the person for keely in this moment it was perfect and it's what she needed to hear because she clearly sets her in the right headspace to go into what the photo shoot here is after and and then there was a photo shoot. Uh, it, it's to the tune of Love is Everywhere, Beware by Wilco. And throughout all of this, the two of them look like they're having nice fun. It's, it's, it's a great song. Uh, they're looking at each other lovingly. The flashes are brightening up the room and, br- and br- brightening up their faces. Everything looks like it's going great. Clearly, that won't change whatsoever by the end of this episode. Absolutely not. And in the montage, they put Ted and Sharon at the bar drinking and laughing. That's when I got concerned. When they, when they yeah, a little bit, two. but yeah, I was yeah, a little it, worried they were going to go somewhere there. The show has a way of conflating friends and relationships a lot. <laughs> they just do that, but luckily they're just having fun at a bar. Notably, over uh, as we see here in a minute, pinball, which is great too. Mm-hmm. Uh, just also gravity you have to worry about. The other thing that's cutting around, which just complicates the relationships that we're talking about here, Sam gets a call from his dad, mm. where he's just. It's that kind of call we've all had with our parents at some point about just saying, what a wonderful day I just had, and I need you to know about it. Apart from him, he's on cloud nine. This is all perfect. And Sam's dad in particular would be eating all this up all to hell from what we know about him so far. Yeah, it's an interesting introducing Sam's dad into this dialogue because you know that Sam's dad's going to push for him. Yeah, and Sam even ends it with the trailing off telling him, oh, and we had Nigerian food. So again, that's sort of like creating that team. What, the, the moment he said that, the moment he called his dad, I was convinced he's already said yes, or he's going to say yes. His dad called him, right? Well, his dad called him, but he clearly told his dad what was happening. He sent his dad, yeah. like, a text or whatever else. But the ma- moment he got his dad in the conversation, it's like, well, Sam's saying yes. Because his dad's going to push for him to say yes. And he wouldn't have told his dad unless he wanted his dad to push to say yes. Exactly. So, uh, yeah. In my mind, it was a done deal, basically, at that point. But Sam, under 30, did not initiate the phone call. 
I mean, come on. That's a general general rule for everyone under thirty. Don't don't initiate a code. They do not initiate the first phone call ever. Fine enough. Uh, it's now a bit of a quieter time at the photo shoot, though. Two of the, uh, the two stare at each other uh, with uh, eyes uh, eyes as cold mess by Pratik Kuhad playing. Uh, during a break, they as they uh, as they um, as they're doing this kind of stare at each other thing. Keeley talks with uh, well. When the photographer walks away to get a different lens, they have that kind of moment that kind of really... They do this a lot in their relationship. The two of them don't like to keep secrets. They like to tell each other what's going on where they're at. They are and, honest. If nothing else, they're honest. They're honest. And one of the problems they've honestly had this season is that they've struggled a little bit in having those kind of honest conversations they had back in season one. There's been a certain degree of distance, and particularly Keely, it seemed like she's struggled a bit in telling Roy what she felt or what she wanted when it came to their relationship, which often forced Roy to be the one to confront the issue and then apologize and compromise when it came to it. Because it seems like Keely was having a little bit of problem of opening up. But here, she's the first to initiate. Kinda. Because she starts with, I when I was out close shopping with Nate, he tried to kiss me and it was awkward. That is not, it's not what happened, but it's not what she says. Why do you think she changed that? Was she trying to hide it or she just didn't want to have the whole what she assumed how Roy might react. I think she was worried Roy was going to punch him. Maybe a fair worry. Roy's going to beat the hell out of him. And and Roy, to his credit, I mean, if you lesson out here, life lesson for every single person in a relationship out there. If you're, when your person says, oh, so-and-so tried to kiss me or did kiss me, your reaction of, that must have been awkward for you. That I'm thinking Perfect. of you. So great. Not not my so own great jealousy, my own insecurities yes. in this moment. I'm going to think about how that's so glad you brought that up for yes. you. Great, great, great way to handle that. It's the perfect response because, yeah, it was really awkward for her. And as you noted, she felt the need at the time to cover all that up to make it less awkward for him. Yes. The fact that he's speaking for her and focusing on, I'm sorry you went through that, that must have been really bad is great. Even if he doesn't get the full story, which is a little bit weird that he didn't get the full story. Um, Roy then talks about his three-hour-long hangout with the teacher and his Uh-oh. odd response to the are you married question. And Uh-oh. his trailing line is, I don't have any idea why I said it that way, is weird, and it's almost like he's pondering himself why he didn't say it differently. In the end, she asked me if I was married. I just said no. Nothing else. I don't know why. This one... Changed the tenor of the conversation. It did. Keely was impacted by that. I can, you could tell. You know, and it, it's really, it, it, this is an important conversation for the two of them to have, to know what they are long-term or where they're at. Because both of them are kind of in that moment of pondering other options. Both of them are kind of that moment of what other relationships do I have and what, other, what do those other relationships mean? And so he reveals this, which kudos on him that he tells her that to say, you know, what whatever. Even if he doesn't fully understand it, I really don't think he fully understands where he's at right now. Keely then, who may have a bit more of an idea of where she is or not, then tells him about Jamie. And this is where a conversation with already, its tone has changed, goes completely off in that direction. Of when she says about Jamie telling her that he loves her still at the funeral, Roy doesn't just kind of chuckle that one off and focus on her the same way he did with Nate. This one hits him on the chin. And it, the two of them... Hereafter, don't really look at each other. They just kind of stare off, and both of them are in this moment having questions, and we in the audience are meant to have questions about what this means. Now, 
I view this as something that they can think about, ponder, and grow stronger for, and I view, I view a lot of strength in their relationship, even as we've seen that they also work well on other people, but clearly a lot of the fan base is wondering whether we now have a romantic quadrilateral to ponder going into the last episode. I don't think they're going to end up together. I think that they have they are two people that have a lot of respect for each other, and this is going to prove to them, in their minds, that... They have parts of them that are not being fulfilled with each other. For Roy, it's this sort of like someone who understands that sort of gruff nature about him. I mean, Keeley's making fun of the fact that he doesn't want to close shop and like using his gruff voice in a way to make fun of him to Nate. That I think teacher lady would understand that, that they would mm. connect that way. Jane, Keeley, while she is a serious person and a smart person, she does like checking Instagram and checking her likes, blasting those grams. She probably does like, you know, TikTok and the newest fads and fashion and all that stuff that Roy doesn't like. Guess who does like that shit? Jamie. So my thought is that this, is she going to marry Jamie? No, but Jamie is a conduit to her to realize that Roy is not fulfilling all of the aspects well, of her personality that she would like. And that's why I think my friend, not not necessarily this season, but they, these two characters will not end up together. I don't know. I don't know for sure. They've given us enough threads to hang ourselves with when it comes to this particular subject. They want us to have be having these conversations. They want to just complicate Fosho, the ever-loving shit out of the plate for the things that have to be resolved by the season finale of this season. They're not going to get them all done unless this episode is just little one-minute vignettes of every single ball they've got up in the air. But I personally view that the idea that they're both of them are kind of in their first serious adult relationship and they're having that kind of moment of realization of, is it okay that I'm not getting everything? My, my partner and I aren't perfectly on page when it comes to everything. Is it okay that we don't do, want to do necessarily everything together or are there are other people that I want to spend time with? The answer is yes, but it's a pondering about how big the issue is or big the differences are about whether they can surmount them or not. This is just a conversation they need to have. It's a pondering that they need to go through on their own and together about whether they work or not. They've done this before in a lot of little ways, but this is now the kind of really big moment of push come to shove, are we long-term, or are there other things that I want to get out of life that don't necessarily involve you, and that's okay. We've set that up. I don't know how they're going to resolve this at the end of the next episode. I hope they work through it. I think they work very well together. You have more fundamental doubts. We will see, because I don't know anymore. Meanwhile, while that fucking thing is happening and our two characters are left concussed, emotional, and worried about what the hell this means in terms of the foundation of their relationship, Did yep. and Dr. Sharon are bonding over pinball, and that's great too. Uh, she considers pinball to be the most entertaining form of me meditation, given that your only opponents are yourself and gravity. It's a wonderful way of putting that. Sort of the two things we're stuck with. At least until that Elon Musk fella stops messing around on Twitter and starts focusing on them jetpacks. Meanwhile, did you know she actually beats Ted's score? Like yeah. she's one step above Ted's score. Yeah. Uh, she adds in SMF, which we are Sharon left to ponder. Mildred Fieldstone? Sexy motherfucker. Ah, rest in peace, Mr. Nelson. I had to double check that Prince's name was Prince Rogers Nelson. Did not remember that at all. <laughs> Figured that was the reference. Like, Mr. Nelson? Is that Prince's real name? Oh, mm -hmm. look at that. Indeed. Lipton, Mr. Nelson, Lipton, Minnesota. Uh, you are teaching me things right now I did not know. Uh, they go for another round as Ted goes to the loo. Of course she wanted another round. <laughs> uh, the fan Just trio then go over to say hi, and they are, as is so often the case whenever anybody ever sees a professional in a non-work setting, 
They immediately start trying to bump her for <laughs> yeah. free advice. Oh, question. Oh, you're a lawyer? Time. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I oh, the damn time. So many parallels to you. Because we do this to you all the time. Uh, we being your friends. But I'm sure you get this everywhere. Like people coming up. Oh, a lawyer, huh? Yeah, well, I got this issue with my neighbor and the property line. So, oh, you're a lawyer? I got a traffic ticket the other day. I've got a beer in my hand. You got two minutes before I finish this beer. It's like... All the damn time. It's the same thing for the professionals, too. Our many doctor friends constantly get grilled for medical advice when they're off the clock. Did you get a sense that Sharon gave him bullshit and then he just took it? Like, she just came, she just made up something yeah. and he just went I with really it? I really thought that was the case. Yeah. yeah, me too. I thought she's just, just okay, well, but maybe it's your I, subconscious slithering in. I, I don't think what she said was wrong. I think it was just like page one, psych 101 of let's go down a list of like things we can say and ponder. Uh, he clearly appreciates it. And the other guy starts to talk about not flying, floating in his dreams. But luckily, May comes over to intervene and encourages them if they're looking for psychotherapy to go check the numbers <laughs> she gave them. May's I awesome. just want I want a Cheers show at this bar. Like, what is going on? May, May has already talked to them about psychiatric help and given them a number to get help. With. Like, how many things are going on that we don't get a chance to see? I love uh, my friend. If Woody Harrelson just shows up midway through season three, you, your equation will be complete. Lock it in. Uh, now, while this is happening, though, May scares them off. And May offers her the beer, as well as a note. The note was given to her by Ted, because he wanted Ted, Ted wanted May to deliver it for him. It simply just says goodbye. Dr. Sharon guffaws, quotes goodwill hunting. Love that, too. And notices and this, stole just, my move. this just completes it for me. She notices that her beer has a little army man with all the little fizz bubble, bubbles surrounding him floating at the bottom, which she has no context for at all. And is just baffled by Here's she'll think no through it eventually. It. <laughs> <laughs> does not know this either. But what it was a scene. Wonderful. Let's scene. give it up. Wonderful Let's give it up for this show. Yeah, absolutely. The goodbye note. I thought that was brilliant. Well, I mean, we were so down on this character at the start, and the show wanted us to be. In fairness, the show manipulated the ever-loving shit out of us by presenting yeah, was like one side of her character. This, char- this character now, was great. We, we weren't wrong. We were just given a limited perspective. We went through the path the show wanted us to have. Yeah, we well, now I was understand- wrong because I said I didn't want her on the show, and I was wrong about that. Fair, fair. That's a fair point. But she had a great run. She's one of my favorite... Prob- well, among the new characters we've had added this season, I think she's easily number one. For sure. Uh, her work with Ted has made some of the best moments of this entire season, whatever quibbles we'd have about Series. it. So hope she will show up again in season three in some shape or form. Yep. Because uh, I'm assuming we're not going to get her anymore in the finale. Meanwhile, among the plot lines I wasn't fond of this episode, outside of Sam's place, Rebecca is waiting. Uh, she comes over to him and says that she can't give him an answer about us, and she can't ask him to not go, but that she hopes that she doesn't go, and then she leaves him alone in the night. <laughs> I hope you don't uh, go. I should go. And she leaves. Yeah. And, you know, the whole, you don't, I mean, point number one, uh, I, I I can't ask you not to go. Literally, you can. You own his contract. He leaves when you say he leaves. Uh, but the problem you know, there you know is she's that, talking as, as a, as her. I know. And that's like, the problem. There is no divide anymore. That normally she would be, you know, the sole consideration would be, I own your contract. Let's discuss this out and work out the details. But because she acted so unprofessionally in terms of getting in a relationship with him, she's Damn. now trying to balance both hats at once. And that's a tower that just simply cannot stand. They're not mm. going to sit on each other. They're constantly going to be falling apart. You can't 
keep both those jobs in place together at the same time. It just doesn't that, work. That Jenga tower is going to tumble right down. You're channeling Ted. If he, he should have said that when she was asking for advice. Uh, to just utterly complete the unpleasantness of this episode, though I think this is actually a great scene, though, even though it's very deeply unpleasant. Ted is back in his flat when he gets a text from Trent Krim, who I love, even identifies himself as the independent in text form. Yeah, it's great. Uh, he says that there will be an article the next day running about his panic attack during the FA Cup match. Ted looks flabbergasted to say this. He's confused. He's hurt. He doesn't know what to do with this information. It just says it's by an anonymous source. But Trent is not done yet. He concludes with, as a journalist, I had to write that. But as someone who respects you, my source was Nate. Drop everything! I mean, it's not a surprise. We debated this. We were not a shocking this. reveal. I called it a little bit. We can definitely ponder, oh dear God, why is this little prick doing this? What are his motives? What is he, why is he doing this? What is, what is he trying to get out of this? Is he dumb enough to think that there wouldn't be blowback or wouldn't be tied back to him, even without Trent Krim revealing it? But a few things right now to discuss. One, Trent Krim revealing his anonymous source is a hell of a powerful statement from a journalist. See, that's the thing. And I wanted to pause here for that. Yes. Do you know, like, do you know enough about the profession to really know what that move was? Because I don't know that I do. I mean, I know that when somebody speaks anonymously, you don't give up your source. I mean, I know they drug people and journalists in court and they won't give up their source. But doing it on a personal level, when you think that somebody has like done a shitty move to somebody, is this something that happens in the profession or not? It isn't like in the law of where it's actually an ethical rule. It's not like, you know, I, under my rules of professional conduct, I have to protect attorney-client privilege and client secrets. Otherwise, I lose my license. I, I won't be able to practice as a lawyer anymore. There's not yeah, the like we shouldn't talk about journalism. how you like tell me all the personal stuff about your clients and stuff, right? You're going to hire me now? Because you're just offering this shit to hurt my future <laughs> profession. But, okay. And let me tell you some Harry Potter uh, uh, plot lines. Da, 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 da. <laughs> right, but when it comes to journalists, it's not like there's a, uh, the same kind of professional ethical rules to play. It's just more customary. It's just more a part of doing business that if you reveal right. anonymous sources, people aren't going to talk to you anymore. But the assumption that I had, and Bridget actually was the one who offered this, was that Nate is probably dumb enough and doesn't have an experience with journalists. He may not have asked. He may not have asked or known to ask to keep it secret. I so that took, could, I, I might, that's a great, that's a great theory. I it, tend to think just, that he. I tend to think that he did, and Trent was just so put off with what Nate was doing that he broke the. So here's column what I want to ask our, want to ask our listeners something. Um, I'm sure we have listeners out there that are either journalists or know a journalist or in the profession or something. Write in and tell us: is this is this a huge breach of etiquette? Is this like something that tr- like Trent would only do like once in a career type thing, mm-hmm. or is this something that like? happens periodically when you have this type of low-level story that Trent probably doesn't even respect anyway. So I just want to know, like, this, how if this is, is this like a seismic move from Trent, or is it something like, ah, eh, yeah, it happens what, sometimes. It was interesting. I was reading a few re- uh, review recaps uh, from various uh, ma- other major articles or just little sites. It was interesting to see the difference between, like, the blogs, of where I was like, that's a powerful statement of friendship. He's just recognizing that what Nate's doing is wrong. He can't, he can't stand for this and support it, so he has to stand for, for, for Ted, who he values and believes in and wants to support. And then from the professional journalists, a lot of them say, I wouldn't do that. Never would do that. Wouldn't do that. That is it. I don't know if that's just out of character or just not them understanding journalists, but I just would never do that. So yeah. it seems like among professional journalists, that is a big line to cross. 
Yeah, that's what, so that's what I, I'm going to ask our listeners. If, if you know the answer to that, if you if in your personal life, you have such experience that you think you can answer this question, please write in and tell us. You can do it on your favorite favorite podcast platform as a comment or you can go to mangumtalks.com and give us this comment. I want to know, yeah. is this something that Trent maybe like what does once in a career or is it something that, that could happen given the context of the situation? Maybe, you know if not regularly, at least a few times in his career, because here's my thought on this is that like, I know that like, it's a pretty big breach of etiquette on paper. If, I Nate, took asked, it as, if Nate asked, key detail. Uh, if, true. If he asked. Yeah. 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 That, there, you, that's true. You could, you could have an out there, but leave it to two lawyers to cook, cook that up, by the way. We're here for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I kind of took it as Trent was so like, cause he said, as a journalist, I had to write that. Like, I feel like he didn't he did. fucking like the story to begin with. I think he no, thought it was small potatoes. And you, we, we already know he's this about Trent, petty. Right? Because think about how when he did the one-on-one with Ted, he he got rid of a lot of the noise because he's just not yep. interested in writing gossipy garbage. And this is gossipy garbage. So I, my thought is that maybe he gave up his source because he doesn't respect the story that the source generated. T- uh, Trent's tone, I'm going to reference one of your favorite shows, it reminded me of Oliver Babish responding to the idea of, you know, Professor Bartlett hiding his medical secrets kind of thing. That he seemed offended they even needed to be having the conversation to a certain degree about, you know, FDR didn't talk about the fact that he was crippled. Who would have cared? Lincoln didn't talk about his health problems. Who would have cared? They shouldn't matter. It's a private medical issue to a certain degree. I think Trent's almost coming to it with a certain kind of similar mindset of, this shouldn't matter. This is so personal yes, tabloid yes. bullshit. And that might be why he's willing to give up his source. Also, I think there's he does respect Ted. There's that that part of it has to play into it. Yeah. He probably also looks at Nate the same way I look at Nate. What? It's like you Pre- sniveling little idiot. You were a kit man before he elevated you, and now you're going to sell him out to me. Fuck you, Nate. And also, in terms of practical blowback on Trent, if he's got to screw somebody over for the sake of your personal integrity rather than professional, Nate's an easy one to do. Because what can Nate do? Nate has no kids, has no pull at present. Nate's insignificant. So, you know, Trent's screwing him over he, when it comes to revealing a source. He might in the and, future. And he probably also trusts Ted not to go to Nate and say, hey, Trent told me. You know what I'm saying? Like, he probably also thinks that, like, Ted will probably keep it between. And he, Ted probably will, by the way. Ted probably and, will keep it between him and Trent. One of those things, too, it's interesting as well. Uh, from a journalistic standpoint of just how much of a story this would now be because Nate did this. I love Trent's little, do you have a comment at the end? Because, mm-hmm. man, this is now a story he wants to write about. <laughs> this internal locker room shit of where one coach is fucking over another coach and now that, that coach knows about. Not the panic that's a That's a book I want to read and write about. And we end up with Karma Police. By Radiohead playing as the credits run. Um, and this episode wraps up on what is a very what the hell is happening next kind of moment. Another bang up job with the recap. I venture to say potentially your best job ever with a recap, only because I appreciate it. Uh, you did a, you did an especially good job, but I also think this was a, a some bitch to write. Uh, there was a lot a lot of notes in this. Every had very heavy dialogue, a lot going on, um, and I stopped you a lot with non sequiturs. So, but you powered out <laughs> through like a pro. So, thank you for that. Uh, all right, I think we should move on to our train wreck of the episode, Spencer. Um, you know, it's the worst award show going in the podcast game. Our train wreck yeah. of the episode. There's no suspense to it anymore. Yeah, it's terrible. Godfa- this is, Y'all this know is- who it is. It's fucking Nate. 
Yeah, th- period. This is the this is the year the Godfather got nominated for Best Picture. It's like is anyone else showing up? Just like no, it's winning. What whatever else? Nate, of course, is the winner of Trainwreck of the episode. It's like yeah. dear God, at every turn, at every run, this man proved himself horrible and in a worse position than he won when he started. It's Nate. He's train wreck of the episode. I think he's such a train wreck that we shouldn't give an honorable mention this week. It is uh, Nate and only Nate. Well, this is really going to now set, with this act of betrayal. This is really going to set up Nate now joining Rupert for whatever Rupert's going to do, and him being an adversary for next season. I, with this decision, he can't function with the team anymore now that now that Ted knows. Yeah, he's and going so, to Rupert's team. But let's have the conversation: Is Rupert's team going to be Richard from Veep's team? I asked you to not do oh, that. Oh, sorry, for the sake of our listeners. Edwin's Thank team. you, Edwin's team. We did that. We could do. We could do that at other shows. We can't do that on this show. Um, I. It could be linking threads together. It could be a hell of a fun twist that just adds to the complexity of Sam and Rebecca and that tortured kind of relationship and all the problems of them being together. It could put Sam in a very awkward position of Nate being his boss, dear God, or one of his bosses, beyond without having Ted or Beard or Roy to balance him out. So. I think it could be a fun twist. i just be very curious to see how they can make the legwork work because Rupert being involved with that team makes it much more likely that my doubts about Edwin are accurate in terms of him just doing all this as a marketing pitch rather than doing it as a fully genuine kind of representation of his views and values. Yeah, I don't know. All right, Nate, you suck. I think we all know that now. Um, Let's go to Sports Center Top 10. All right. Um, we talk about one, 10 things that we liked about the episode that we want to comment on more. Not 9, not 11, not 12, not 8. Spencer, what's your first one? The power of letters. Um, oh, I like it. It's one of those things of where I understand where Ted's coming from about how, you know, I wanted to hear from your face, I wanted to hear from your face. I have never been a circumstance of where I got a call from someone or I got a letter from someone where I didn't think the letter meant more to me. Even if it just has a few words, even if it just has a few sayings, it always comes across as more powerful. And so her taking the time to write personal letters to every single person seemingly on the team or that she met with is an incredibly meaningful gesture, particularly with how much she apparently put into them. So I would encourage people, write letters more. They really do come across as much more powerful than emails, than phone calls, than anything else in terms of just really expressing where you come from what effect they can have on another person. I'm curious about you, though. Do you have a similar kind of emotional response to an actual letter from another person? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, yeah. I've written a lot of letters to my friends. Um, mm-hmm. some you have. Of them are, some of them are quite famous. I've written some that I really uh, went for high comedy, and my friends have saved them and actually read them at parties and stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I really like... I've never... Like, I'm hesitating here because I actually can't remember anyone ever writing me a letter i've written a lot of them um i think i I think i'd be impacted uh if somebody Mm -hmm. did but it's it's so rare nowadays it's kind of hard to tell right i mean the the last time i sit down like wrote the most letters i ever wrote to a personal was like when doug was in the military i wrote him a few letters when that regards that was the only way he could get communications was was by letters otherwise yeah, yeah number of letters i've written to a person outside of a professional capacity I could count on two hands in terms of the last few years. It's just not a common means of communication anymore. Yeah. I'll say this. Um, here's a life lessons with Lee. Um, just be the letter writer guy. Like just yeah. be that in your friend group. Cause yeah. I, I kind of am that a little bit on the margins, like be that, like you only have to do it once too. That's the cool thing is like, if you write one letter completely unsolicited, 
and sent mm-hmm. via mail, uh, mail uh, under 30. That's, um, that's a thing that the United States government uh, funds. There's a thing called a stamp. You put it on the letter, you send it out. Google it. You'll find out more you information. Mean, you mean it. FedEx? Uh, yeah, FedEx. FedEx the, FedEx the letter. Oh, okay, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so do that. But you only have to do it once. And then everybody will remember that you did it. You'd be that guy. You'll just be like the cool guy in your group if you, if you do the letter writing thing. Nice. Uh, okay. Will brings in Nate's suit and says, I got the suit Ted bought you back from the cleaners. And Nate snaps at him. It's my suit. During this scene, Beard is reading a book. The book is Entangled Life by Merlin Sheldrake. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me give you a uh, little bit of a, um, a read on what the hell this book is. In Entangled Life, the brilliant young biologist Merlin Sheldrake shows us the world from a fungal point of view, providing an exhilarating change of perspective. Sheldrake's mm-hmm. vivid exploration takes us from yeast to psychedelics to the fungi that range from miles underground and are the largest organisms on the planet to those that link plants together in complex networks known as the wood wide web pretty hilarious considering he immediately goes into the thing about hey you know tree we used yeah, to think he, trees competed with each other but they don't he's actually reading he, something he just he just read that it was the prior chapter he's just yeah. quoting what he's reading in the book pretty 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 uh nice detail there that the show threw in um Another one for me, this episode just really emphasized, I really want DVD extras or whatever you do online when it comes to those nowadays, when it comes to the show. I want to see the full dance routine. I want to see all the times they practice to do that dance routine. I want to see just character commentary. There are so many wonderful moments we just get suggested are happening in this show that we don't get to spend enough time with because they already ha- the show's already jam-packed. This episode really just hammered that home. And man, I just want more content when it comes to the show outside the episode give me web episode stuff give me what the office did i would love all of it yeah uh nate talks about the false nine Mm -hmm. Uh, a little bit more on that uh false nine is a deep line striker who operates between where a traditional number nine center forward and a playmaker number 10 would usually play um so just back in the field a little bit when the false nine lines up at the start of the match in the position normally taken up by the center forward their approach and what is expected of them is quite different, hence the name False Nine. In contrast to the traditional number nine, who is the furthest player up the pitch, again, this got pulled back, acts as the vocal point of the team, the False Nine operates much deeper, and there's not as much focus on them to hold up the ball or be on the end of every ball into the box. So it's kind of like uh, pulling somebody back and having them play decoy a little bit until you're going to you know, fire them off and, and use them. It, it, I think it will. Be, I think it's a great thing. Uh, as far as um, strategy for the show to introduce, because it will mm. inevitably result in a very dramatic moment. Do you believe that it will work come the next game? No. You, so you don't you think you think it will fail? I think the false nine will fail, and then um, I think that Beard will or Ted will come up with something that will work. Gotcha. And so Nate will be even further humiliated, and will use that kind of moment as a further kind of fuck you to the team when he walks away. Yeah, it's either that or it's going to work, and he'll use that to propel himself to the next gig. It's one or the other, right? Either way, I don't think either, either way, way he's any, out. I, do we have any doubts at all that Nate is not going to be with the team come the beginning of season three? Beyond just uh, reasonable no. doubts. No, no, no. Ninety-nine percent sure he's not going to be with the team. Okay, well done. Um. Honestly, I kind of expressed most of my points within the episode. So do you have any more? I don't want to go on to like 40 the way I usually do. Yeah. Um, so the cut to Sam and Edwin who are looking at a painting by Kalichi Nanwari. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nanwari, uh, Kalichi Charles 
uh, is a self-taught artist born in Lagos State, Nigeria. He focuses on the science. He focused on science in his early schooling days. He actually got a bachelor's degree in agricultural extension from the University of Nigeria, but he started his artist career. He uh, originally was in star, uh, inspired by pencil artist, hmm. such as a guy named Kevin Okafor, who I had to look up, uh, but has some pretty dope pencil sketches. He initially initially focused on pencil realism and has evolved to introducing other mediums such as acrylic, acrylic paints, collages, watercolors, and oil paints, which is what we see in the show. Here is um, here's a little nugget about this guy. Um, big enough artist that he's being referenced in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, pretty big deal on the global stage. Born in 1994, so he's young. He's very yeah, young. Should make you. It makes me feel like shit. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry, dude. <laughs> Person who was born in 1994 is now 26, right? Yeah, 27. Still, yeah, Christ. but I, uh, yeah, but I can only think like that guy's had nine less years than me to, to accomplish this. <laughs> Celebrate uh, the talent; it doesn't diminish yours. Okay, well, I think I landed it right on number 10. So, boom, there you go, 10 yet again on the dot on our Sports Center top 10. I think we're ready to move into Ted's life lessons, and then we'll wrap up the episode. Life lessons with Ted. I only got two. Okay. Ted says to Rebecca, listen to me. Don't listen to me. Don't listen to Edwin Akufu. Don't listen to Sam. Listen to your gut. And on the way down to your gut, check in with your heart. Between those two things, I'll let you know what's what. I kind of alluded to this when you were going through the recap. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that's great advice. I honestly don't. Tell me. I don't think that, well, I don't think that's how we should make decisions, especially big decisions like this, which is, do you get involved in a relationship that might actually last a long time? Do you do you step in in your professional setting as a boss to stop something from happening because of your personal feelings? Like, could you cross that line? These are big questions that Rebecca is wrestling with. And to tell her, go with your gut and run with it, I think is overly uh, simplistic. Uh, And it's not great advice. I think that, yeah, should you you think about, well, what emotions am I feeling? And what what do I care about? And of course that should be a component of it. But folks, don't ever take like, your like your brain out of it right don't take like your intellect out of these decisions especially big ones like rebecca is facing right now so what i would say is when somebody tells you listen to your gut i think what they're telling you is to just like roll with the first thing you thought or like roll with your 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 initial reaction to something i don't think that's great decision making i think that that whatever your um, emotional responses to something should be factored into your decision making Based on all these other factors, that's what makes us human. Like, we, we don't have to go with just our gut. So I didn't think it was great advice, and I felt like Ted really wanted out of the conversation quick. And I think Ted probably knows that that's bad advice, or at least not the best he can give. It seems like it's he's presenting one factor rather than the whole equation. This is a definite important element you need to keep track of. It's a important thing to consider. But it's not the whole, you know, playing field you're working with here. There's a lot of other elements you need to be pondering right now. It's, it's like, it's a good starting jumping off point. But then there's a lot of pondering and discussion you need to have from here that really no one's giving her and she's not having. Yeah, I just don't, this this go with your gut. Like, if somebody tells you that, like, I think that you should say, well, you know, thank, thanks, you're trying to help. Yeah, like, appreciate the sentiment. I'm going to kind of disregard that. Like, it's, it's a little uh, reductionist. Um, finally, number two, only two life lessons this week, Spencer. Because this one is so gosh darn important, I think. Oh, God. Which one? Um, goodbyes are really hard. Like, they're really, really hard. I have been terrible at goodbyes in my life. I'm yeah. awful at it. I can't. Like, I'm so bad at goodbyes that I 
can't watch the last episode of television shows that I really love. I won't watch the <laughs> You're last You're too invested. Episode. Yeah, I won't watch the last episode. Why? Because I don't want to tell these fictional characters goodbye. If that's the reaction I have to physical characters, imagine how I feel when I have to tell goodbye, say goodbyes to people that I care about. I am awful at it. And I can tell you from experience that they are really, really, really hard. So say them in whatever way you can, however you can, in, in any capacity that you're capable of doing. Mm-hmm. And, and this is the key part, give grace to others to do the same. Meaning, yeah. don't have these over, uh, don't have an abundance of expectations on how people are going to tell you goodbye because yeah. you have to remember just how difficult it is for the vast majority of people out there to do. So if you have to say goodbye, Give yourself some grace. Do it in whatever way you're capable of doing. This is what Dr. Sharon tried to do which with the letter, which I thought was actually a pretty good move. It was. And don't do what Ted did, right? Give the other person grace and space to say goodbye in the way that they can, in much the same way you're giving yourself grace to say goodbye in whatever way you can. And I appreciate that he came to understand it. He came to appreciate it. He eventually gave it back to her because of how much more he understood where she was coming from on it. It's a very Ted kind of reaction to at first just find it repellent, but then when presented in better understanding, come to appreciate. So I liked that quite a bit in terms of the process he went through with it. But I'm very much with you. Goodbyes are essential. Goodbyes are very important. They're always hard. They're always difficult. No one knows what to say, but... They're a, very, they're a very important element everyone, everyone needs to keep track of. I, I'm one of those people that says that one of the last things you see is one of, the la- one of the most important governing impressions of everything that came before. And the goodbye is part of that when it comes to just other people, too. So don't leave them out and give other people an opportunity. Don't do an Irish goodbye and just walk away from the scene all the damn time. Don't ever do that. That is that is just awful. Um, do, say goodbye in the best way you can, but also give grace to others knowing that it's very hard for them as well. There you go. There's Ted's Life Lessons of the Episode. Spencer... Let's do some concluding thoughts and then let's get out of here. We do this on all the episodes that are like kind of normal episodes, which is I want you to kind of place you. You're not a big fan of the first, uh, my number one favorite, my number two favorite, but I try to give you ballpark ranges. This episode, top 25, bottom 50. Where, where are you at with this episode? A bit above mm, in terms of this season or in general. Uh, in general, like in general, mid range, about about fifty percent for you. Fifty percent, maybe a notch or two above. Interesting. Okay. Um. Yeah. For me, it's it's top twenty five percent. It's not as high as some of those earlier episodes in in earlier uh, of this season, mm-hmm. where I got so many Tedisms <laughs> and so much fun and so many. They were still progressing the plot. It's not like the plot was like non-existent in those episodes. It's like they were able to do both things. They kind of got away from that, and now they've they've come back to it a little bit. And I think it's just because they gave Ted new life, right? Uh, Doctor Sharon gave Ted new life, and so I was able to get mm-hmm. that part of the show that I just really genuinely enjoyed, which is I want the damn show to be funny for God's sakes. Fun- and this was funny in a lot of parts. It was, it was a fun bit of subtlety, too, that it, it was Ted having new life, but we commented before that some of the life he was showing in the early episodes of this season felt forced. It didn't feel particularly genuine or as natural as Ted did back in season one. This felt like old season one Ted, in just terms of the natural flow and friendliness of it. Didn't feel like he was just putting on a face or forcing himself through it as much. So I, I appreciated that. Awesome. Uh, one last question I have for you, and I'm curious okay. as to your thoughts on this, because I was pondering this. Why did Nate do what he did? and when he did 
in terms of revealing that information about Ted. What is his end game there, or is he just lashing out? He wants to be the coach, and he this, this is a coup. This is a coup. Absolutely, okay. it's a coup. He wants to be the coach. Um, he says as much. Uh, I, do you ever want to be in charge? I want to be the leader. I, I want to be in charge. He's just trying to he's trying to undermine his boss to get his job. I think it's as simplistic as that. If that, and I think that is very possible given the other information we have in this episode. If that is the case, he's a blithering idiot. Because yes. there's no way that scenario works, and all it can do is blow back on him. You're not. He's not going to lose his job because he had a panic attack. All you're doing is embarrassing him personally. Like it's just a mean thing to do. It's not going to get you to your professional ends. Nate's a dick. He's a yeah. bad guy. They may they may give him a redemptive redemptive arc at some point. I I don't know. But like everything we've gotten from this character since he has been given any agency is that he's not a good guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think so. Fuck I, Nate. Uh, he I'm out on Nate. Uh, give me Rupert over Nate. Give me give me two Ruperts, uh, and I'm I'm selling one Nate. Okay, in terms of the three possible, uh, the three worst people we got on the show: Rupert, Jamie's dad, and Nate. Rupert's the one you want for the great redemption story in season three. Yeah, give me Rupert. You know he's got Nate. a daughter. Did you know that? You know I was aware. I'm glad to see you believe that that just cures everything else he's previously done on the show and in life. I take Rupert over Nate. Nate's the only reason that Nate hasn't done worse things than Rupert is that he's not had the ability to because he's not he's had not the, the resources, money, not had the money and then the prestige. Otherwise, he'd be doing crappy things just like him. All right, well, I know we got to wrap up. I want one thing from you before we go, and I'll do Please. the same thing. Two predictions for the finale. Two predictions for the finale. Uh, they get promoted. Write back these to the... down, and we will address them on the next episode. Okay. Uh, you want to push this? I mean, I feel like I'm wasting time. They're going to get promoted back to the champion, back to the Premier okay. League. That's fine. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay. Uh, and I'll I'll do an easy one, and I'll do a stretch one. Stretch Rupert's in some way involved with the other team. Involved with um, the other team, Ed, meaning Ed with Ed, with uh, Roger Casablanca. Okay, uh, and mine is going to be uh, one Keeley and Roy break up. You're, oh, you're pushing hard to start. Okay, yeah. Uh, and number two, we're going to get um, Nate is the head coach of a team that Rupert owns. Okay. There I, we go. I, I, of those two, I endorse one of them. I don't think. Well, if it's if Rupert's involved with Casablanca, I don't think Nate would be the head coach. But if Rupert's involved with any other team, I think Nate would be the head coach of that, or at least have a reasonable onset. You don't Nate think Edwin's going to run with with Nate? God, he well, might get, might get an African coach. I mean, you know, he's got a yeah, a bit of just a, a bit. Yeah, maybe he's an assistant coach. I could picture him being an assistant coach on that team. But it'd be great if he got hired to be an assistant coach, considering all this damn clamor he's doing for wanting to be the head guy. I mean, I would appreciate it for almost like a Jamie moment of how much Jamie was being so egotistical about Manchester, but then now Nate is transferred, but it's not what he actually wanted it to be. Third one just got hit. Boom. Got hit with brilliance lightning. You ready for this? Okay. Nate is going to be fired by Rebecca. He's going to be fired by Rebecca and rehired. Rebecca is going to find out that Nate is the one that behind that. and Rebecca is going to go over Ted's head and fire him. I can get behind that. I'll be curious to see. Okay, there you go. That's our our full uh, summary of Season 2, Episode 11, Midnight Train to Royston, and our predictions for the finale. Spencer, we're getting there. We have been talking finale. to you for four straight years, 
And we're finally going to get to the end of season two, and then we will actually have a break here on the last of the lowdown. So if you're still with us at this point, that means you like hearing us talk. And so I've got mm-hmm. something for you. We, you, you might be wondering, how do I get Lee and Spencer? How are we going to hear the two, two guys talk when Ted Lasso is over? I have got just the thing for you. It's a little podcast called Line of Succession. So right now it's in your favorite podcast platform, whatever you're listening to this podcast in. Go to that podcast platform and type in Line of Succession. It's a Mangum Talks podcast. We are the Mangum Talks crew here. And it is us reviewing episode by episode, much the same way we're doing Ted Lasso, the HBO show Succession. We already have our season one and two coverage on the on the feed on Line of Succession. So if you haven't uh, watched Succession yet, you can watch it and you can listen along with us for season mm-hmm. one and two. Season three is going to premiere later in October. And Spencer and I will be here with you week by week reviewing succession on line of succession so that is the next podcast and the next television show that we are going to jump into it's our next foray and i look forward to it spencer but before we get there we have one more week here on the lasso lowdown so we will be with you next week for the finale season two episode 12 hope everybody has a good week